Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. I think we should start this interview. <laughs> you don't mind that this song is playing obnoxiously loud in the background, right? This is in no way disturbing. Here, let me ask you a question. Hold on, let me increase the volume of the sound. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to episode, oh shit, I gotta turn this off. <laughs> turn off! <laughs> welcome to episode 193. Matt, I don't know how you didn't figure that out. So before the episode, I was like, oh, I'm starting, well, you know, every now and then we think of cute thing, cute ways to open the show. And I was like, oh, I like, of course, if you're, you know, we are reviewing Anatomy of a Fall, and then it's, like, I was like, get seeing the movie like this is a given like the, when the movie played i was like i am so using that fucking sound to start this show i can't i can't wait like you know tune in for the review matt give them the details about anatomy of our fall our foreign film this month oh my god you know what so it's <clears throat> well first of all i haven't seen you in a minute right yeah it's, it's been a been, while <laughs> it's been a while it's from our last record because we kind of did them back to back so we had a little bit of a break between this one that we're doing right now. And so I had I watched the movie about a week ago and I completely forgot. About it's been a minute for me, too. I completely forgot about the beginning of the movie. It was playing this song. And it's so funny because when the movie started, I was like, this is, this is a French movie, right? It's like, is that, is that 50 Cent? <laughs> So version this plum steel pan. Was <laughs> <laughs> it fifty cents? Yes, fifty cents. Uh, P I M P. Oh my god! I was like, I said, this movie's going to be interesting. And without you know going too ahead of ourselves, I think at the very least this movie was interesting. Anatomy of the Fall. It is our foreign film of the month. It's a French film that has uh, it got a lot of attention during the um, one of cans. Yeah, it won in Cannes, the film festivals. It was getting up there. And then a lot of people were surprised that this movie was not uh, France's choice to be nominated for Best International Film at the Oscars. So, uh, like, uh, for, I guess a lot of people thought this is a given. They decided to go with a different film to be up for the race. So we know at the very least that this movie is not going to be nominated for Best International Feature. But this movie, was, regardless, is getting a lot of attention and has been talked about getting somewhere around the awards conversation um, starring Sandra Huller, Milo Machado, Grine, Grine, Granier, Granier and Swan Allard. Um, yeah. I I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about this movie later in this episode. <clears throat> As am I. Uh, because uh, 
as as this, these past few episodes, we have been kind of early preparing ourselves for the award season, and we're trying to get in a lot of the ones that are getting early talked about. And I can I can see why the buzz is around this movie. Um, but yeah, but also again, Ernesto, I haven't seen you in quite a minute. Uh, I, I do before we get started. I do want to talk to you about because I know we. Uh, we recorded two episodes back to back. So if you haven't listened to those, listen to episode 191, where we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Corsese's new film. And then we had the special privilege of having your son Julian on the show. And we talked about Five Nights at Freddy. And he was just a wealth of knowledge on episode 192 about the subject. So I, I am curious about, like, you know, is, is he still talking about it? How was your Halloween? Did you guys go out trick-or-treating? Yeah, we got a little bit of trick-or-treating then. You know, he had a he had a really great time. It was, and I'm sure he's listening to this now, because now he tells me, even if he hasn't seen the movie, he just, he listens every week. So, hey, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, to his credit, we do talk a lot more about just our movie review. But if you are here for just the movie review, Ernesto, tell our lovely listeners, lovely listeners, how they can kind of maneuver around our episodes week after week. Like, you know what? I want to listen to that steel drum pan again. So let's go. Because, you know, what? maybe we'll just kick off the film review like that. And that's just how we'll, we'll go back into it now. But uh, you can go down to the description and you can go to the timestamps and you can just skip to any. There's essentially like three mini shows that we've packed into one <laughs> giant show. We have our this news. We're going to have our news section, which is going to be coming up here in a second. And then we're going to be talking about random things that we've been watching and then we wrap it up with one film that we saw together that we can have a collective back and forth about. And that's and that's kind of like really what this is about. Like more than anything, I love to talk about what we've been watching. But what I find more interesting is when we collectively talk about a movie and just the different insights that we get. Like how sometimes, you know, I'll like a movie or you won't like it. And just through mm-hmm. the conversation, we end up finding things that we appreciate more about it. So like... You know, it's just it's just nice to get other people's perspectives on art. Yeah, and absolutely. And like <clears throat> and I mean, that's kind of the format of I mean, pretty much the format of all of our shows is like we have a thing. Right. And then we just kind of just branch off of it and have our own discussions with it. Uh, but our spoiler view of the week, which is, like you said, the movie that we both agree that we're going to watch and have an in-depth conversation about it, it, We kind of really don't know. We don't we don't talk to each other beforehand about the movie so we can save all of that that raw conversation when we are having it here on the show um but with that ernesto before we dive into anatomy of the fall before we dive into what we've been watching we're going to be talking about holy hollywood there's a lot going on here there's (laughs) definitely a lot of news (laughs) there's a lot and like i said we've been kind of uh we didn't talk about last week and it's been a while since we were since we've uh since we spoke so yes a lot's going on but the big one right there if you're watching us on youtube the sag after strike is over thank god yeah my wow like this this has been going on for 118 days the sag after screen actors guild of the sag after which is stands for the screen actors guild american federation and television and radio artists and the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, have reached a tentative agreement that will officially end the 118-day-long actor strike. The SAG-AFRA negotiating committee took to social media to say, we are thrilled and proud to tell you that today, your TV theatrical negotiating committee voted unanimously to approve a tentative agreement with the AMPTP 
As of 12.01 a.m. Pacific, Pacific Standard Time on November 9th, our strike is officially over, suspended, is officially suspended, and all picket locations are closed. That's just fantastic to hear. Fantasticness. I mean, couldn't ask for anything better. It's just, I mean, finally, you know, the actors can mm-hmm. get back to work. And then I don't know, not even necessarily the actors, but like, you know, all the other people who put things together, the cinematographers, the production mm-hmm. designers, just, you know, everyone. Like, we finally can get back into not even just our shows, but just even some of these lower end projects, some of these big projects. Now, I mean, we saw like once the strike was over, it has been like a flood of announcements. Yes. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it's like, it's like, hold back the wall. It's like a flood. It's like every announcement they've been waiting to release since the strike. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is. And, and, and the, the, uh, the post continued to say in a contract valued at over $1 billion dollars, uh, we have achieved a deal of extraordinary scope that includes above pattern minimum compensation increases, unprecedented provisions for const for constant con- consent, consent yeah. and compensation that will protect members from threat of AI, and for the first time, establishing a streaming participation bonus. Our health and our pension and health caps have been substantially raised which will bring much needed value to our plans. In addition, the deal includes numerous improvements for multiple categories, including outsized compensation increases for background performance and critical contract provisions providing, uh, providing diverse communities. Uh, we have arrived at, I'm sorry, protecting diverse community, communities. Uh, we have arrived at a contract that will enable SAG-AFRA members from every category to build uh, uh, sustainable careers. Many thousands of performers now and into the future will benefit from this work. Full details of the agreement will not be provided until the tentative agreement is reviewed by the SAG-AFTRA National Board. I mean, I don't know. This this is fantastic. It's just great to see that everybody's back at work and that they did put in that the main thing that they got across is, you know, setting limitations on AI and making sure that yes. they're getting compens- properly compensated for what's coming out to streaming. Now, the only other flip side of that is that if they raise, if now it's going to cost them more to do these productions, like because of what they have to pay out, like they're not, their, their point is not to take away from their bottom line. So that right. is getting pa- that cost is going to get passed down to us. So if it mm. costs more to go and maybe that looks like, you know, movies are bigger budgets and that just because of what they have to what they have to calculate for as part of their budget, you know. So it's it's interesting to see like this is great for them, but what is the pract- what is the practical implementation of that going to be? I mean, this is not related, but recently they raised the minimum wage in California and now McDonald's like has raised all their prices in in specifically mm-hmm. California to counterbalance the the raise of minimum wage. So are we going to see that same thing at our movies? Like, is it going to cost more to go to the movies or movie theaters going to be more expensive because now the theaters have to pay more to get them, to get the rights to the theater. Like I'm curious to see what that trickle down is going to look like on the other side of this. While on a mate, on one hand, 
thankfully they are getting what they need. But is that is that coming out of the the CEOs? You know, or is that coming out of the company side, or is that going to come right. out of the consumers? Because it seems like they're going to pass that cost down to the consumers. That's my guess. I mean, I mean, also, I mean, probably. I mean, they've been raising every year. The prices of streaming services go up. Like I'm sure by a couple of pennies, sometimes if you go see a movie in IMAX or whatever, that goes up as well. Like, yeah, we're not going to see. I, I think it could be a little bit of both from what you're saying. But honestly, I, we might not know until later down the line when, you know, we see increases on our streaming services yet again, which I feel like every year, like I said, we, we, we always get them. And then we have to make a choice whether we just keep it or we get rid of it. I mean, at this rate, it's going to come to a point where we are going to have to decide like, all right, well guess we're not going to have this streaming service anymore. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it, I mean, it's, it'll be, it'll, it'll be unfortunate because it, there will be an eventual breaking point, just like there was with cable. When cable got to an extreme, right. extreme price, the response to that was streaming. So what is the response to the increase of streaming prices? What is that going to look like? Like right. maybe all this is protected, but what if they think of a new form of entertainment that's cheaper and they can use AI that goes around all these things that they just set up? I mean, I don't know. There's yeah. there's a lot of different factors. Like this is great, but there I feel like there could be another side to this as well, unless those unless those protections are put in are already put in place. Right, and and also uh, just like we did with the writer strike they first announced that they have a tentative agreement and all that stuff. And, but the bigger question was like, okay, what's, what's the details? Let's, I want to, I want, now I want to know the facts. Like, what did you get? What, what did he actually was a good deal? I know you guys agreed upon it, but was it actually beneficial to everybody? Um, Hopefully in the coming days and maybe this time next episode, or maybe in the next two weeks or so, we will get some answers on what the details of these deal, what this deal was. But I mean, after so long, I mean, they were negotiating for close to a month, like of just like working out a deal. So I'm hoping that either, you know, I hope, I hopefully it was a studio that needed to budge and not, and not the Saigafra yeah. members. So, but at, at all the, all the while, you know, kind of, it is, it is happy to see that this is finally over yes. and that we can now move forward. Well, first, well, hopefully they get fairly, you know, they actually get what they wanted. Yeah. Um, which the details will come soon. But looking at this right now, I'm just happy that we can now move forward with all these projects again because, you know, when the writers were out, we couldn't really do pre-production. When the actors were gone, then we can't do actual production. So really, only post-production was happening, and any pre-production that was happening on the director's side, not on the writer's side. So then, when the writers came back, like we can focus on pre-production and post, but we still can't film anything. Uh, you need actors for yeah. that. So, uh, so yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, it just all around, it just works out for everybody. And then us as the consumer, well, we'll see if we have to pay more at the long run. But at the very least, we know that content is continuing to come out. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And it, I mean, this is it's going to be ex- is it's exciting because mm-hmm. as we, it really as we is. see now. Are you ready, Matt? Let's mm-hmm. talk about some of these things that are happening. So yes, Nintendo has announced that a live-action Zelda film is in development. The film, the film will be directed by Wes Ball, who directed the Maze Runner trilogy, which I actually, side note, actually kind of enjoyed, and the upcoming mm-hmm. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, which I'm questionable about, <laughs> with Derek Connolly, uh, Jurassic World and Pokemon Detective writing the screenplay. 
creator and game developer of The Legend of Zelda, Shigeru Miyamoto, will co-produce the film that is super important alongside mm-hmm. Avi Arad. Nintendo and Sony Pictures will both co-finance the film with Sony Pictures handling theatrical distribution. Look at Sony dabbling mm-hmm. in that like the video game verse. Like let's get it. Like let I I feel like this is something that fans have been asking for for years. But it's great oh, yeah. to see that I think with the release of the most recent game, um this is what's kind of like sparking sparking all the all of this. Um, but I'm here for it. I think this sounds like great news. Uh, West Ball is a good director. I actually really enjoy the Maze Runner trilogies, even given its issues with the, the production of the third film, um, with things that happened on set. But I mean, I actually, I mean, I enjoyed them. So I, I'm, I'm here to see what he can bring, what he can bring to it. I guess now the next, you know, what is casting news? But I'm just, I don't want, yeah. I just, I don't care about. <clears throat> who the director follows on Instagram and who they go <laughs> meet. Like just when you've officially released it, just tell me the day you're going to release it. Like doesn't like, I don't care who it is. Just like, I don't need to know beforehand. Like I don't need, I feel like I just don't like, I feel like we're going to get a lot of that. Now. The next thing is like the ultimate fan casting. Who's it going to yeah. be? <laughs> um no this is actually very exciting a lot that's interesting here right obviously nintendo's first movie that they put out was with universal and their illumination with the super mario brothers movie and so my logical next step is like nintendo is like oh we'll just we'll continue our relationship with universal and we'll make a live action zelda movie or I honestly expected an animated movie because because Super Mario Bros. went so well. I'm actually quite shocked of a lot of things. One, they went live action with with uh, Zelda and not animated. And two, uh, Nintendo is is making deals with Sony and they're a direct competitor when it, at least it comes in the video game market because <laughs> that's <laughs> like PlayStation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nintendo, same thing. So now they're working together to make this movie. I'm like, wow. So. I guess it, I guess everything's all right here in in, in this book, um, and I agree. I, I like the Maze Runner trilogy. It's not my favorite, but it, they're still good movies, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. That looks, it looks good. At least the teaser that was released a couple days ago. I don't know. I just feel like we already got a complete trilogy. Um, mm. And correct me, is Andy Serkis coming back or no? Or did I don't see. I have. I don't. I don't know. think so. Well, because no, Caesar died. Right. I, spoiler. Alert. Yeah. Yeah. Caesar. <laughs> yeah. Di- yeah. <laughs> spoiler. Yeah, Caesar came died. out a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I don't think Andy Serkis is. So this is a complete, is this a a new trilogy that's happening? Uh, honestly, I have no idea if it's gonna be a new trilogy, but this is definitely a sequel to the, to the three films. Okay. Because this, this picks up right where. Just basically kicks it into franchise mode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It goes from trilogy to franchise. Like when you, once you go three to four, like, like, like once you make four, you might as well just make 20. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it's also worth noting that the creator is involved with this project. And also, this he was also involved in the Super Mario Bros. movie as well. Yeah. So he's going to be he's probably working very close with Nintendo and his brands, as he should, to make sure that no one's going over here screwing shit up. Because he's like, hey, you want me in your movie? We're doing it yeah, my we way. We don't want no Sonic teeth. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We don't like. Uh, I feel like Sonic, that whole Sonic debacle, like, just really set the standard that, like, the people who you don't fuck with are video game fans. Because oh, but but it makes sense. You're 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 appealing to somebody who has who has spent endless hours with this character, 
So they know yep. what this character looks like. They know exactly what they should be looking for. So they have a certain idea of what it should look like. But I understand. I think the reasoning for making a live action is maybe to appeal to like an audience, maybe a closer to a PG-13 audience, just because like, you know, you could really tell a good story if you make it a little dark. And plus Maze Runner, I mean, yeah. even look at Maze Runner. Maze Runner is a darker, <clears throat> is a darker series, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a darker YA. And honestly, like compared to like Twilight and Hunger Games, I feel like Maze Runner doesn't get its due because it's still a good trilogy in that in that like genre of, of film. I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on Hunger Games level because as you know, no. and then you know, side shout out, we're gonna be reviewing the Songbird of Ballad um a ballad of Songbird and Snakes next week, um, which I'm super excited for. But Well, it's not next week, not next week, two, two weeks. Sorry, I have my you're right yeah. it is two weeks from now i'm seeing the movie mm-hmm. next week i'm just mentally uh, next yes. week you know I, i'm like we've already planned it so i'm like two yeah. weeks ahead in planning so in two weeks we're going to be reviewing the ballad of songbirds and sinks but i would put it i would probably put hunger games first and i would probably put that one second and maybe and yeah. maybe then twilight uh, i don't know that's not even in my conversation <laughs> to be honest like it's okay like i liked it i remember uh, steph mm. uh Steph, if probably not, uh, Steph loves Twilight. He knows. Well, I mean, it, there, there's a fan for everything, yeah. so I'm glad that he's part of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not. I can't. It's, it's fine. <laughs> um, I, I do want to shout out to Ave. Uh, I think was it Ava Arad? He, he said he's co-producing it with uh, the game creator for uh, Zelda, and he's been in the game Ernesto for a long time, like. He was he's been with Marvel for a long time. I'm I'm looking at his uh, filmography. He has been a producer since Blade. So I'm going to I'm going to start I'm going to start listing off titles. Blade, X-Men, Blade 2, Spider-Man, Daredevil, X2, Hulk, uh The Punisher, Spider-Man 2, Blade Trinity, Elektra, Man-Thing, Fantastic 4, X-Men Last Stand, uh Ghost Rider, Spider-Man 3, Fantastic 4 2, uh Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Wow. The list goes on. X-Men Origins Wolverine. I got his picture pulled uh, there, Yeah. Uh, X, uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man 2. And then that, so that's him transitioning. I mean, he's been with Sony for quite some time Uncharted. now. He's been involved uh, with Uncharted. I see, uh, where is it? Spider-Man Homecoming and Venom. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He was still part of that. Far From Home. So, like, he's been with Sony and specific, specifically with Spider-Man since it first came about. So... So this guy knows and, and, nerd and, shit. Like he knows nerd like, shit. Literally, that's, that's, that's all. That's every everything. Ooh, Spider-Man animated yeah. series. Oh man, yeah. I'm so. I mean, he's got great projects under his belt. So I'm yeah. uh, I'm here for it. And also, he's very deep in Sony, so he knows how that works. I think this. I think this could be good. Yeah. Obviously, like he's he's created billions of dollars worth of content. I I have high hopes for this Legend of Zelda live action i mean we're probably a little ways away from getting it but i i have high hopes for what this could be for sure um moving over (laughs) what's going to be the start (laughs) of a lot we're going to be diving in a lot with the walt disney company and specifically with marvel in the next couple of stories just forewarning you that's why we issued those timestamps earlier on the show because it's a lot we got to get through uh so with that the walt disney company officially announced that they will purchase the remaining 33% stake in Hulu from Comcast, giving them full ownership of the streaming service. 
Uh, currently, Disney owns two-thirds majority stake in Hulu, which Comcast owning the other third of it. In a press release, Disney announced that it expects to pay $8.61 billion, with the B, <laughs> with dollars. <a> <laughs> With a B by December 1st to Comcast to acquire the remaining 33% stake in Hulu. And this is just a very abridged version of this. There's a lot actually that's going on to this that I'd even write down because it's just too much. But just the short version of it all Comcast and Disney made an agreement about Hulu back in 2019 that within this around right now, they, uh, Disney made an agreement with Comcast saying that. They will buy Hulu from them if Comcast wants to sell. And so that by November 1st, Comcast says, hey, Disney, the time is here. We want to sell. And Disney was like, well, based on our agreement in 2019, we are now going to buy it because that's what we want to do. And at the time, Hulu was valued at $27 billion, meaning that their one third that they would then they would pay for is 8.6. But doing further digging, those were the estimates in 2019. Meaning that now we're in 2023, the value of Hulu could go up. So they're saying by December 1st, they would have a new estimate of what Hulu is currently valued at. And then Disney would have to pay that amount of, of a third of that amount to Comcast. So at minimum, they're paying $8.6 billion. But if the value is more than 27, or <laughs> then they could be paying a lot more than that. Well. I mean, Comcast is smart. They're like, yeah, I'll sell it to you. But if you, it seems like you want to buy it because you know something. So yeah. <laughs> I want a piece of that too. So if you think you're going to get yeah. more than this, then I want, then I want a little bit more. Then you yeah. know what? That's fine. But you know, it is really interesting that Disney, who reportedly has been in financial troubles, is mm -hmm. making, is making these deals. Well, here, here's the interesting part. So. They said, right, that the, the the I was watching a video and they were explaining that estimately and, the, and these are just big ass numbers that we're just kind of throwing out, you know, but 11 billion dollars what Disney has on reserve, even though they have financial trouble, they still have a reserve of 11 billion dollars. So I think that it will be coming from that the 8 billion will be coming from that to pay off for Hulu. And obviously Disney obviously should have big plans for Hulu if they're spending willing to spend this as money. So the idea is what is Disney willing to sell in order to get to make you know the numbers kind of be all right. And so apparently Disney owns what's called Hotstar, which is a a service that's down in India that they acquired when they bought 20th Century Fox. And to make a long story short, they're looking to sell that over to the highest bidder over in India because those numbers aren't doing as well as what they wanted to. Hotstar is kind of bundled over with Disney Plus over in India, and it serves as like their international market that way. But Disney's looking to sell that off to other big buyers in India. So, and that valued that that value of Hotstar is roughly around seven to eight billion dollars mm -hmm. there. So, if they're willing to successfully sell that off, and then they pay for Hulu in the American market, then it kind of offsets each other and. We were back to where we started. Interesting. So it it's a lot of like moving parts that's going around as well as they're looking. And then in order to maybe gain an additional four billion dollars, it is rumored that Disney is looking to sell off some of their big affiliate markets that's attached like the news affiliate markets that's attached to ABC stations so they can, uh, you know, uh, get some money back that way as yeah. well.
So it's it just a lot of like just moving parts going around. And it's kind of funny that after this announcement, just a few days after that announcement, Disney CEO Bob Iger announced that they will be launching a beta test of an app in December that combines Disney Plus and Hulu into one single experience for, for subscribers of both services. The company expects Hulu on Disney Plus to result in increased engagement, greater ad revenue, reduced cu customer acquisition costs, and lower churn. Mm, that makes so, sense. Like you don't have to pay for two apps. Like why don't I, I? I run both, so why don't I just move move them together? It's it's the it's the HBO Max and. Um, mm -hmm. Discovery and Discovery, Discovery merge. Yeah. This is this is Disney's version of that. Like, I mean, but it yeah. kind of makes it kind of makes sense. But then it's just an interesting what that layout. Like, are you gonna just switch between? Are you gonna go to this one app, or is Hulu gonna be like its own tab? And like, is he right. like, are you changing the entire interface of how this app was created? Are you basically starting from scratch? Like, what is that gonna look like? What does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> And and also to your point, like I think one of the biggest benefits that Disney Plus does not have and Hulu does is that they have live live television that you can subscribe which to. Which is great. Which so, is a great aspect. Which, which is, is great. a great aspect. And then, you know, maybe this Hulu Disney Plus app will have a will have some sort of tiered system where like you get either the Hulu or the Disney Plus side, or then you can mm -hmm. it's like a small upcharge for the both. And then that makes sense because then you're not yeah. trying to get people to buy Hulu and trying to get people by Disney Plus, like it's much easier to once you got them on the hook, you're like, oh, you can just spend a couple of dollars more and you can get some live TV. Yeah. Don't you like live mm -hmm. TV? I bet you like live TV. <laughs> <laughs> What's also crazy is that, like, again, the video that I was watching was kind of just crunching the numbers and it was saying that when 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 the deal goes through with Hulu, if you combined the the U.S. No, uh, the U.S. subscribers for both Hulu and Disney Plus, it's roughly around 74.5 million subscribers just in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And that is a direct competitor to Netflix that has about 73 and a half million subscribers. So they are going to be like now like they're planting their flag in the streaming service wars and a direct competition with Netflix as far as how many subscribers that they have. So maybe that's also part of it to be like we are king of entertainment when it comes to streaming now um but yeah it's just it's just really interesting all these like just numbers and all these you know different ideas of what they're going on and and it was also crazy is that what i think our second episode ernesto we literally talk about the streaming wars yes i remember and four, four years later we're still fucking talking about it it's crazy. it's gonna be a never anything until like that that what is it and then you know like kind of like what i mentioned before like what is the next what is going to be the response to the to the increasing streaming prices are we going to see mm -hmm. streaming services bundle up now like hey like we have a deal now if you can buy hulu the disney plus hulu and max for this combined price at this tier and as opposed to having them separately, you know, like, are we going to see that as an as a as an attempt to mitigate like what it like right. there's going to be some sort of response or there is going to be like a breaking point where people it's just going to they're going to be like, all right, well, I'm out. I'm out on this service. Like, I guess I'm not watching mm -hmm. this one. Like, and what is that tipping point going to be? We're not there yet, but I feel like we're it's a slow boil to the, we're in the process of of reaching that in the next couple of years.
Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. You, there's going to be a point where we're going to have to start making choices because if if it's $20 for every streaming service that you have, there's no way that every consumer is going to commit to spending over $100 if they're not already to every streaming service out there. So, yeah, you're going to have to start making decisions. You know expensive guesses? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, like, because right now they're trying to push like all these streaming services now where they didn't before they have an ad plan. Yeah. So like it is much cheaper to get the version with ads than it is without ads. But my only problem with that is that if you get the version with ads, you're also reducing the quality in which you're receiving that content. Because if you get the version with ads, most of them does not come with 4k. Mm. And so my head is like, well, why, why would you do that? The only difference is ads. It's not like I should, I should not get diminished quality because I decide to pay cheaper and have ads. And so then they're forcing you to pay more if you want the better quality. Yeah, because then they can, they, can, they can hit you with the higher price point. Because then, mm-hmm. oh, but we're offering you a better quality. Like, the quali- like what you're paying for is the quality. It's not even necessarily the ads, you know? Yeah. Like the, the ads, right. it's like you're paying for the quality. The ads is just, the added, it's just an added bonus. Yeah. But I mean, that's their way of upselling you. It's like when you go, it's like when you yeah. go to, it's like when you go to fast food, it's like, like, mm-hmm. can I have a Coke? It's like, do you want it large? I'm like, oh, well, I guess I do want it large. It's just the, it's just the upsell effect. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is crazy. To, I mean, I mean, I've always been fascinated with the streaming wars and it just constantly continues to go. And, uh, yeah, I, it just makes a lot of sense that Hulu, that Disney is wanting to look to buy Hulu, especially since they own the good majority of it. I, I am, I am, I think Disney Plus on Hulu or Hulu on Disney Plus and merging them. I think it's a long time coming. So I think they're looking. I think the beta is in December, but I think they're looking to make an official launch by spring of 2024. Yeah. So I, I, I so, think this and uh, just kind of a link to the majority of the Disney news this week and in the following weeks, the weeks, and especially with the strike is just Bob Iger taking Disney back over and going, which way is this ship fucking going? It's like, <laughs> yeah. where, it's like, dude, where have you been taking my company this past time? Yeah. It's like, this is where we need to do. And then we're seeing um, a bunch of things. Are you ready to move on to the next story? Cause this next story, yeah. this is the, this mm-hmm. is a biggie. This is a big yeah. Th- this is this is going to take over a good majority of what we're going to be talking about because there is a lot to dissect. Yeah. So a lot course. of this is, but I feel like this meeting. So for those who are just listening, we're showing the cover, which was the Variety cover on November first. They put out this massive article titled "Crisis at Marvel," and within that article, they delved into some of the major issues surrounding the MCU that has been generating a lot of headlines, which we've been kind of talking about for a while when we when we, when we had Sonica about it. I was like, I'm done making excuses for them. Like they have the money, they have the time. Like there's no reason to rush. Like make us wait for quality. So, you know, we're going to kind of go over a few of the highlights. You know, in this meeting, a group of Marvel creatives, including studio chief Kevin Feige, assembled in Palm Springs for the studio's annual retreat. Most years, the vibe has always been confident, but on this occasion, it was opposite. Everyone at Marvel was reeling from a series of disappointments on screen, which we've, I mean, it's, it's been, they've had, mm-hmm. they've had, they've had it rough recently. Mm-hmm. A legal scandal involving one of its biggest stars and questions about the viability of the studio's ambiguous 
ambitious strategy to extend the brand beyond the movies into streaming. So Matt, go ahead and kick us off. Yeah, and also every every bullet point that we're about to go through right now, I feel like we've touched upon almost every one of this in previous episodes. Like I feel like after I finished reading this article, none of this really came at a big surprise. No. You know what I mean? It's like we've talked about this in some way, shape, or form. And the big one, <laughs> it's no surprise, is Jonathan Majors. Uh, the most pressing issue to be discussed at the retreat was what to do with John about Jonathan Majors. The actor has been posed to carry the next phase of the MCU, but instead is headed to a high-profile trial in New York later this November on domestic violence charges. The actor insists he is the victim, but the damage to his reputation and the chance that he could lose the case has forced Marvel to reconsider its plans to center the next phase around Major's villainous character, Kang the Conqueror. At the gathering in Palm Springs, executives discussed backup plans, including pivoting to another comic book villain like Doctor Doom. No. What do you mean? You know, you're not on board with that. I'm so well. First of all, actually, let me let me continue this because yeah, because I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, finish me, it and yeah. then because then then, 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 then let's, let's, let's go to thoughts. Yeah. All right. Um. On uh, one top dealmaker says Marvel is truly fucked with the whole Kang <laughs> angle. <laughs> they they haven't had the opportunity to rewrite until very recently because of the because of the um, the Writers Guild strike. Um, but I don't see a path to how they move forward with him. A studio source notes that regardless of the actor's legal issues, Marvel already had considered moving away from major from Jonathan Major's led phase because of the box office of the hold on. Because of the box office performance of Quantumania, which will which struggle which will struggle to make a profit, recasting majors is also an option. So, a lot to dissect here, but I will say this: I think what the top deal maker says, like, yeah, I feel like, well, no, sorry, the the studio sources. He says that regardless, uh, Marvel is considered moving away because of the performance of Quantumania. That movie was not good. It was not good. Quantumania. What Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania was not a good Especially movie. Especially all the VFX so, but, issues that it has. I mean, just right. the storyline issues that it had. I mean, well, you give your thoughts and then I'll give mine. Yeah, I, I personally think that it's, first of all, it's, it, we're, we're kind of trying to separate the actors from his work and then his personal uh, endeavors. And I'm just solely talking about his work right now. And I think that he was one of the better parts of Quantumania. I liked his portrayal of Kang. And even further going off into what he was able to do in Loki as well and Loki season two, um, like he has been a good driving force with this character. And I would have looked forward to see him continue that. That being said, now, I do agree with you. I don't see a path where they can continue can, can continue with him, even if he is innocent. I don't know if the, the damage to his reputation can can justify them moving forward of him being the main villain for the next couple of movies. So with that, you have two options. Either you dump Kang altogether, which they can do. You can recast them, which I think is my option. Or they talked about pivoting to Doctor Doom, which I don't believe is the option. So I'm actually, I'm more okay with them I guess okay. So here, here, here are my thoughts. If 
he is proved to be innocent, I think mm-hmm. that they should go with pivoting. Because then you don't discredit the work that he's already done since he's innocent. But then it also says that you don't have to move forward with him because he has an image issue. So then then right. then I can see recasting as the option. But now if he's guilty of these things, I think you should go the recast route because then you're saying his storyline doesn't matter and he kind of fucked that up with us until like let's do something else, but they ended him in Quantum Mania. To whereas it can be a lingering thing for many, we can come back to it many, many years later. Where you're where right, we can go the recast, where we then can go the recast route, and then it's been so long that you can write in that that there's that the true prime or whatever you know somebody create somebody with mm-hmm. a, who makes a lot more money and is way more creative at writing could come up with a good reason <laughs> canonically of why. Kang Prime is different, and you know, maybe there's a and that can be written into whatever X project in five or six years. That's kind of like that's right. kind of like where I'm at with it because if he's innocent, then we shouldn't shit on the work that he's done because somebody tr- because something unfair happened to him. But mm-hmm. because he allowed himself to be put into that situation means that we don't necessarily need to work with him anymore. Like we can right. we can acknowledge what you've done. But we also need to acknowledge that you are creating problems that we don't need to have for our for our projects. And you can go right. on to do whatever you want and try to re- rebuild your image somewhere else. But Marvel is not the place for you. Right. And also to to an extent, like I can I can understand the pivot, but I don't think the pivot needs to be Dr. Doom. And the reason why I say that is because I don't want Dr. Doom to be rushed just because of something else didn't work out in as part of the plan. So, again, I think it all comes down to story. If you can make sense of it all and it makes sense for Dr. Doom to come in here and you can do this kind of if you do this smart, then sure, I don't mind the pivot. But don't don't put in Dr. Doom and rush it because you've been taking your sweet ass time with a Fantastic Four and I'm perfectly okay with it. But but yeah, I just I I don't want to be just don't just don't rush the Fantastic Four movie could be the introduction of Dr. Doom. Like what if right, what if with. he comes in or what if we get before Fantastic Four, we get him taking out Kang and being the one who's going to kick off Secret Wars. I mean, I I mean, who knows? To be but honest, then what is you. Kang Obviously. Dynasty going to be? Are they just going to ch- then at that point would they just change the name of the movie? Secret then it yeah. then it will be Secret Wars Part One and Two, <laughs> or, one, two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or or something else instead of the Kang Dynasty, it's the Doom Dynasty. I don't know, but like I I do think that they need to again. We're just basing all the stuff off this one article, but I I think they just need to do more workshopping on what they want to do with it, whether they decide to pivot or to recast. Um, but do you see them? Staying with majors, no. I guess that's what. Like, I don't. I don't. I, I think don't. at and I think at any point, it doesn't. I don't know. I just. I don't see how they move forward with him, given mm-hmm. any in any scenario. I don't see how they move forward with him. And also, this is me saying this, not seeing Loki season two, but then this this you know is what have the the viewings for Loki been like? Like, like what right. is, what does that look like? I don't know. 
and it what is his what is his role in season two and is, is this the last project we're supposed to see kang until we get to the avengers and king dynasty like it just it just right. poses a lot of a lot of questions like if he's going to be prominent it's like how prominent is it going to be like thanos was like we just like in random movies mm-hmm. we get like a brief one scene of him collecting the pieces he needs to get to infant like his you know kang dynasty but then you know if they go the doom route at one point are we going to see him kill kang and just kang is just going to be like wiped off the board like this major villain in the universe like they can't get they can't get rid of him so even if they bring in dr doom it can't necessarily get rid of kang like Right, like we had, like the the quantum mania can't be how Kang goes out in in this, and plus we saw at the end when at at quantum mania when they had Kang Con, where there was like fifteen thousand of them there mm-hmm. of Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with that? Like, like what? I don't know. So it, I am very curious now that the strike is over and maybe in December after his court case we'll get a better understanding. Like. If he's 100% in the clear, then, you know, it's like a redemption story of people, of crazy people who get to you, who, mm-hmm. you know, who influence you and get you involved in these things. But then if he's guilty, then they're going to have, then they probably will completely put it. That, that is my, that is my yeah. guess. Because then why even talk about Kang? Because you've are, you've locked into him so hard that if he's guilty, you your only choice is but to pivot. Right. And so I will say this and I'm I'm still debating if I actually want to go because next week is our is our Marvel episode. We're going to be talking about the Marvels and I've seen all of Loki season 2. And so I'm debating if I want to talk about it in this episode or in the next one because next one's more of our Marvel episode, but that's that's a later discussion. But what I can say as far as what they did with Kang in Loki season 2, it's also very similar to Quantumania where yeah, we have we have reached a temporary stopping point with the character. Mm. So to your point, they could have this as a pivot if they wanted to. They don't necessarily have to immediately go to him after this because I'm not saying like his story, there's still a lot to continue off of, but here is a nice pause on it. So it will we'll see what they decide to do obviously with everything you just said as well and with this court case and everything but they just need i i think we you need to be very careful marvel does with their next step on what they do with kang and how they deal with majors so moving on we're going to talk about the marvels now beyond the bad press for majors the brain trusted marvel is also grappling with the november release of the marvels which has been played with lengthy reshoots and now what appears to be likely to underwhelm at the box office the marvels will be one of the lowest debuts for marvel in a huge loss given its 250 million dollars so let me go ahead and say that number again for you 250 million dollar budget the movie had also had to undergo four weeks of reshoots to bring coherence to a tangled storyline so let's let's before i we're gonna pause there real quick just the fact that you've had to do that says i can only imagine what the film looked like before and i haven't seen it yet um Mm -hmm. what it's gonna look like i'll be curious to see 
like it, what the difference is because the reviews right now this is before the movie was released were right now are very mixed people either love yeah. it or hate it like i've been yeah. like it goes from either and i try not to read too much into it but it seems like they're either like very polarizing there's nobody that's really like oh, i was good like it's either it was the best marvel movie or it was dog water like <laughs> <laughs> but you're right but i've had heard the same thing it, it's very it is very yeah mixed. very mixed so so i'm i'm curious when because i haven't seen it yet either so i'm curious at the time of this recording, it is is Friday, so the movie just came out. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're 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 it's tracking to be a low box office debut for it, which is doesn't look good again, given that two fifty budget. Yeah, not not great. Then eyebrows were raised again when director Nia DaCosta began working on another film, Why the Marvels was still in post production. Though it's not uncommon for a director to work on multiple projects at once, it is a little weird. So when when you're working on a two hundred and fifty million dollar film, I I understand like you you've been tasked with this massive budget film that has already had so many issues that when you mm-hmm. do that it comes across as you're wiping your hands clean as like you know what right. post production arguably the most important part of the filmmaking process of how you put all the shit you shot together you know given that all your footage is decent like what like how you put it together and your oversee of that should be the of the utmost importance like like yeah. james gunn famously does not work mm-hmm. he works on one project at a time so because yeah. then at that point you are now splitting your attention like you're like mm-hmm. that does i mean it does not make me feel good that does that is that is not good news <laughs> that does not make me no. feel confident going into this movie I was listening to a podcast and they were saying that Steven Spielberg famously did that while in post-production of, I believe it was post-production of Jurassic Park. He moved over and started working on Schindler's List. Both movies turned out fantastic for his career, like one of his top movies he's ever made. So it's, again, it's not uncommon for directors to do that, but not every director is Steven Thank Spielberg. Thank you. Like that, that, that is the, <laughs> like the argument to that is that it's Steven Spielberg. It's like, it's he Steven is the Spielberg, only yeah. person that can probably get away with doing that. Like probably one of the few, but, but to, but to your point, yeah, I do think that if you work on a big budget like that, I think your attention needs to be solely on making sure this movie's done and then work. And on it's not project. even that like, because obviously it's an, not an uncommon thing, but if you've had, if you've been plagued with the amount of reshoots and the amount of extra money it's cost mm-hmm. to make this movie, then maybe you should like really rein in your attention on the thing that is arguably more expensive than it, what it was worth. Right, right. So, uh, in addition, the Marvels has seen its release date moved back twice, once to swap place with Quantumania, which was deemed further along, and again, when it debuted, shifted from July to November to give filmmakers more time to tinker. Which, arguably, they should have just pushed both of them back. Because, I mean, if you look look at the VFX or Quantumania, like, you know, one of the VFX, they said, and this was for The Flash, but they go... If you're watching a movie and if it looked like it, it took a week or a day for that <laughs> scene to be made, that's because it probably did. Like, <laughs> like, like there's yeah. it just like visual effects just takes time in order for the image to properly render. Like there's only yeah. like you just you have to it, it's just one of those things that if you're going to do it, 
it needs to be done correctly. Yeah, and that's a great segue into the next bullet point we have is talking about the vis visual yep. effects and what the article kind of dived into. Uh, shifting from date, shifting the, the shifting of dates resulted in further problems within the visual effects department. Marvel's entire vis effects team, including staffers and vendors, are struggling to keep pace with the never ending stream of productions. When the Marvels and Quantumania swapped release dates, it pushed up post production for Quantumania by four and a half months, resulting in multiple shots looking, I'm sorry, resulting in multiple shots looking out of focus and unfinished and was one of the reasons why the film was reviewed so poorly. That actually makes a lot of sense yes. now. If it makes a ton of sense. Like, yeah, the visual effects, the visual effects looks like shit, not because of the team is because the movie got bumped up by four and a half yeah. months. And to that point, why, why would Marvel do that? Well, they're trying to hit deadlines. So like they're trying to like hit these certain markers that they've already put in place. It's not fair for the visual effects team to have to accommodate to that. But it's also like what and then to that point, what makes you feel that like the Marvels, for example, has more value over Quantumania that even though, yes, the move is further along, but they were going in a pace of you still had four and a half months, four and a half months of work you, you can Correct. do. So. Uh, the same frustration occurred during post-production of She-Hulk due to the lack of oversight of script development. Mm -hmm. The original arc, the original arc of She-Hulk, um, in the original arc of She-Hulk, a flashback of star Tatiana Maslany's transformation into the Hulk character didn't take place until episode eight, the penultimate episode. But after Marvel's brain trust watched the footage, they realized that the scene needed to be ha the scene needed to happen and the pilot episode so audience could see more of the character's backstory early. That meant the VizFX team was tracked with fixing the mess in post-production. All the while, Marvel was bleeding money with the single episode of She-Hulk costing around $25 million. Wow. That's that's what's 25 times nine that there was nine episodes in there. That's that's how much that. I mean, just quick math here. That means that that episode, that season of television, over three, twenty-five sorry, over three million, two hundred and twenty-five million dollars for a, an entire season of She-Hulk. That is almost the budget of the Marvels. Wow, which is incredible. <laughs> why to think about it? But yeah, with within all that, it was fed up with fourteen-hour days and no overtime. The Marvel, the Marvel visual effects workers voted unanimously to unionize in September, sparking an industry-wide trend, which other uh, VizFX team with other productions have also started to unionize, but that to me that just makes a lot of sense. But that's where, but that's like, where I mean, and I know they try to attribute a lot of money into the actors, but this is still comic. This is still very visual effects heavy content. So the mm -hmm. yes, you need to have a great story, but what even more so needs to be on point is your visual effects. And those yeah. are the people who you need to be paying handsomely and making sure that they're paid correctly because it is worth the cost to have them. Yeah, and it's, it is crazy. I mean, now just kind of putting some light on maybe some of the troubles that Marvel was having, and the, especially with the visual effects team. And the stuff that we talked about before, even when we were talking about Quantumania, we were talking about how some of the visual effects team uh, was coming out and saying that we only had like two weeks to get this together. No wonder why it looks like shit. Like, you know, if you think it does, it, it, there's a reason behind it because we had no time to do it. So I don't understand why. And like, and look how much backlash Marvel is getting with that. So like, is how important is it to keep your deadline of, of a certain release date 
if this is the outcome when you know which we'll be talking about later that if you just shift it by a few months i feel like it's a world of difference yeah like and then we obviously we see what pushing it up did. we saw what it did what it did to quantum mania Mm-hmm. But I mean, they unionize and they, you know, they have better working conditions and the pay, it seems right. that the pay is better. So, I mean, this is, this whole meeting is all a part of kind of Bob Iger trying to write, and Kevin, in this case, Kevin Feige, trying to write the ship because they were doing, it yeah. just seems like they were doing well for so often that they just became very complacent. Like people are just going to mm-hmm. gobble this shit up. But no, they just, you know, we yeah. were amazed in Iron Man 1 and then we got used to the formula. Like, oh, this is the formula. This is what works. All right. Well, we are used to that now. So you're going to kind of have to change it up, which is why James Gunn's movies were so refreshing because they were James Gunn's movies before they were Marvel movies. They were James Gunn movies right. in the Marvel Universe, which is what every project should have been. So moving on to one of our last one of the one of the last things is they talked about bringing the original avengers back the last topic of discussion sources say that there have been talks to bring back the og gang the og avengers the og avengers movie uh gang from the movie this would have include reviving robert downey jr's iron man and scarlett johansson's black widow both of which were killed off in Endgame, but the studio hasn't committed to the idea if it were able to bring those actors back, it would not come cheap. So yes, it wouldn't be cheap. This should not even be entertained. Otherwise, you're going to say, hey, Endgame doesn't matter. Like Tony Stark's arc from Iron Man all the way until Endgame, all that growth that he had, like doesn't. It literally doesn't matter. Like, and I know we see a lot of this in comic books, like in actual mm-hmm. comic books, but this is where it needs to differ in the movies. If you're going to kill somebody in the movies, then they need to be dead. You just need to figure out a way to continue that universe on. When that person dies mm-hmm. in that universe, they should die in that universe. Like, like I understand He's multiverse so- and maybe for uh, yeah. like a, a cameo from one, like I'm okay with a cameo from a Robert from an Iron Man from another universe and it being Robert Downey Jr. I'd be fine with that. That I'm okay with. And even then, like that cannot be, it cannot be the whole movie. It can be like, like Avengers uh, Endgame assemble scene where people are popping out of portals and it's like a bunch of, and it's like maybe a bunch of different universes coming in for a battle and we get like a 10 minute battle scene. And even in that battle scene, we don't, we only get him for a few minutes. Like he doesn't need to be the forefront. It needs to be like a very quick thing. Not like we need to showcase the actors who you're going to be propping up through this next phase. That's who needs to be the forefront because they're the ones theoretically who should be making the sacrifices to make their characters matter at the at the whatever your end point is with these characters for this fate for this like for this next saga that you plan on telling like you know we had the infinity war saga like what is that going to be and at the end of that who's making the sacrifices and what do those sacrifices look like that's what's going to make these stories like successful and how it's going to continue yeah and the i i 100 agree with everything you just said it's like i don't mind like in avengers secret wars if these characters came back in a multiverse fashion, but that's, that's about it. Like we don't, don't give us a movie with the OGs back. Granted, we're going to watch it, but if it doesn't make sense story, if, if it doesn't make sense story wise, 
and you're just relying on it so you can get the audience back, you're doing it all for the wrong reasons. So Agreed. they should not even, this should not even be a thought and you should focus on just creating good stories. That's what it comes down to. Just continue. Well, first, well, not, not solely just making good stories, but also making it look good as well, but also being fair to your workers, giving them time to work on these, giving time for writers to actually form these stories. I feel like we're all just focused on centering our attention on these deadlines where it seems unnecessary when you can easily Correct. just push it back. And like, yeah, these artificial deadlines that they impose on themselves. Right, exactly. They're, they're, they're harming themselves to your point. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just kind of frustrating, especially since a, a lot of these topics we've discussed before on, on, on previous episodes. And it's like, we know at the end of the day that Marvel can do better because we've seen it. We've seen them take their time, develop these grand stories. Just go back to the drawing board, see what you have, work within that and just do better. Like it, I yeah. feel like it doesn't take much to do that, and you know what works. So, like you, you at the at the time when Marvel came out, I was like, why would you start your movie with Iron Man? He's like a B level character. It's like, well, we don't have X Men and Fantastic Four and Spider Man. And guess what? You made it fucking work because now it's one of the biggest franchises of all time. So, Correct. if if you can do that with the Avengers, then you can do that with these lower lower known characters as well because you're Marvel. So, Correct. just do better. Just just do better. Um, and I and I think this next story kind of kind of hints at that too. That it seems like that we're in the process of them writing the ship of kind of like like hitting the reset button on everything. Yeah. So moving slightly away from the Variety article, but staying on topic with Marvel. So we're done talking about the Variety article. Um. Um. Well, on the topic of Marvel, within all of that crisis, there has been some hope. We have. Talked about in previous episode how it seems that Marvel has started to make some course corrections. In addition to scaling back on some of its Disney Plus shows, the Blade reboot star Mahershala has gone through a creative overhaul with a with the new project having gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shutdown six weeks before production. It appears Blade that it appears that Blade is finally back on track, and we've talked about that. Many times before, how they lost the director, they're bringing it back. It just the story wasn't right. So all of that seems like that course correction that we're kind of alluding to. That there's that hope that maybe Daredevil. I'm sorry, that maybe Blade is not that far off of being a, a disaster, even yeah. though it seems like production has been pretty um, pretty rough. Um, but moving that, the creative overhaul treatment just recently happened with the Daredevil Born Again series and had just received an update. Following the departure of head writers Chris Ord and Matt Corman, the creators of COVID Affairs, Marvel Studios has hired a new showrunner and directors to finish off the production of Daredevil Born Again. Dario Scardanpan, whose recent credits include writing and producing episodes of Netflix's Marvel show The Punisher and Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan series, have been tapped to act as the new showrunner. Additionally, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, the co-directing team behind episodes of Moon Knight and Loki Season 2, have been hired to direct the remaining episodes of the first season. Uh, I'm here for it. Yeah. Like, this is this, is this and especially, like, you know, the Mashar Ali Blade news, like him reportedly, like, that he was going to leave Marvel mm -hmm. altogether to do other projects. Like, that and this, this tells me that we're heading in the right direction yeah. so i am all for this i'm glad to see that you know 
that things are changing so that we're finally it seems like we're going to get some more quality content like people are going to start putting quality back into comic book movies because it you know people are getting tired of the marvel formula right. and so and and even going this is fantastic news. yeah and even going further off of that it said that you know it within a lot of reports that kevin foggy lately has just been spread through too thin he's been trying to oversee all the disney plus shows and all the movies and like that work i mean it's it's not easy work to make sure all of these projects are not only good but also tying together within the mcu and making sure they're all connected in some way shape or form so yeah i can see how a few moments kind of slip through the cracks when you're spending more attention here other than there um and now it seems like that with blade and now they're doing it with daredevil is like hey we looked at what you got and it's not great so it seems like it's, not, it's happening. not happening. Hey, thanks for your time. You're going to be in the credits. Don't you worry, but you're not going to be moving along with this project. And we're going to hire other writers and especially bringing on the uh, showrunner of Daredevil of, of the Punisher. Yeah, let, let's start there. That That's a good one. Uh, yep. That 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 signet that tells me that they want to keep the dark tone and bring on the director for Moon Knight and Loki season two. It also seems like we're staying within the family. Moon Knight was a little bit darker as well. Seems like we're getting a grittier Daredevil like we were used to in the Netflix series. So all in all, I am happy with the changes and hopefully they can get back on track. And they, I think it's on track by by fall of next year. We should be seeing the series come to flourishing and it's going to be 18 episodes. So it's a lot of a lot of TV. Yeah, but uh, you know, it, it's it's there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that season. You mm-hmm. know, the, we've got Daredevil. We've also got the Punisher yeah. and plus you know, Kingpin, I'm assuming, is going to be a part of it. So yeah. it, there's a lot that they're going to put into it. And this is their next big series, I believe. Yeah, right? as outside of because I think right now... Or Echo. Echo is going to be their... It's going to be a smaller series. Um, but out, out of curiosity, do you end up seeing the Echo trailer? So it's funny you bring that up. Yeah. Because I didn't see the whole thing, but I caught glimpses of it. And I am intrigued. Yeah. I was not before, but this is also part of the conversation Mm -hmm. like i think that disney disney and marvel is putting their big boy pants on (laughs) and they're they're fixing they're cleaning up house they're like get all this nonsense shit out of here like let's get to work it's so funny because and i'll be the first one to say i was talking major shit about the echo series uh so was i i was like why do we need this this feels pointless and then it's so far i saw someone post on trailer what one trailer Sorry, someone posted on on social media. It said how one trailer can make a difference on your perspective. Because I saw the first trailer of Echo and I was like, wait a minute, hold up. What do we got over here? This this is that that even it even said in the like when Marvel posted out the poster and the trailer, they're like, make sure your TVs or make sure Disney Plus is adjusted to your parental settings because this is going to be TVMA. So this is Marvel now dipping their hands into a more adult driven audience because we're going to see it with, with, with echo. We know it's going to be with daredevil and we already know that Deadpool and blade are going to be rated R. So, yep. So, yeah, I mean this, I'm here for it. I mean, this is, this is all fantastic Mm -hmm. news Uh, with that. Marvel Studios is set to launch a new banner titled Marvel Spotlight with the upcoming release of its limited series Echo, which we were just talking about, streaming on Disney Plus and Hulu January 10th. Under the Marvel Spotlight banner, viewers can watch the show without prior knowledge of the larger MCU continuity. 
This is fantastic news. Mm-hmm. Marvel's head of streaming platform, Brad Winderbaum, said Marvel Spotlight gives us a platform gives us a platform to bring more grounded character-driven stories to the screen and in the case echo artius doesn't need to have seen marvel series to understanding what's happening in my maya story kevin feige confirmed in an interview with entertainment tonight that he oh, has no else. oh sorry um so with that i think that that's fantastic news and i think that that's realistically what most marvel products should be they mm-hmm. should be there should be yes there should be like a main overarching storyline but even then those should just be self-contained stories that have echoes of what's going on in the universe like brief mentions like mm-hmm. like a slight cameo not these forced cameos and if it doesn't warrant one then don't put it in there so i i think this is fantastic news like i can i'm here for a whole slew of these especially if echo does well like if we're yeah. going to see a bunch of shows like echo come out where it's just like hey do a deep dive on this character give me a good show like it could be yeah. a mini, it could be a limited series like more limited runs i think people would be way or more down for that and you can even give us different variety because there's different there's even um there's like kid there's even more kid friendly ones that they can that they can go to i think uh devil dinosaur i think is one of it's one of the he's like one of the like uh one of the characters meant for a younger audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son, he re- Julian reads him. He used to read it. It's like Squirrel Girl and Squirrel Girl. Like there's yeah, a bunch of Girl, yeah. there's a bunch of different ones that they could do that we can get this same sentiment. So it well, sounds also, great. It's also crazy because like I, well, first of all, I feel like Marvel should have done this before, but I think it was always like the unspoken things. Like you can watch Guardians without knowing the bigger MCU. Correct. Kind of like I feel like they've already doing it. They just now they're just putting a title on it. It's calling Marvel Spotlight. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. Echo was introduced. The character was introduced in Hawkeye. So unless this is a prequel or maybe there's just no mention to anything that's going on in the MCU and the story is just fully, fully, solely focusing on her character, I guess. But at the same time, she did originate from another, another show first. So I'm not sure how much of this one in particular is going to be worthy of the Marvel spotlight, but I, I get what they're trying to do here. Also, I think it's uh, there's no confirmation on this, but I think that the show is only four or six episodes, so it's already really short. Yeah, and which I'm here also, for. I'm, and I'm down also, for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that too. And they're also um, releasing it all at once at, on both streaming services, something they've never done before. Yeah. They, they never released other episodes at once, and they never did a joint release on Disney Plus and Hulu. Yeah. So I think I think um, like there's three things they're just testing out with this series. Like, we're going to test out this new banner. We're going to test out releasing all the episodes. We're going to test um, seeing if it just streams on Hulu. I guess, you know, this is good. this show feels like a testing ground for, for Marvel. Agreed. Uh, so, also, you know, kind of bringing that point up again. Uh, Kevin Feige confirmed in an interview with Entertainment Tonight that he is no longer producing a Star Wars movie. And that project is no longer moving forward because they're like, hey... <laughs> focus on marvel like yeah. we can get somebody else to do star wars like you can do one little star wars thing maybe later but you're yeah. kind of busy right now you've got other things you have things that need your attention yeah when i saw this when i saw this headlines like yeah no shit Duh. <laughs> so, like how can you you know and, and it kind of maybe shows maybe he was again spread too thin and maybe in the mix of trying to develop these Disney Plus shows and the films, 
there could have been a part of him that had Star Wars on the brain. And it was like, oh, I'm, we're also producing this movie. And I, I think we said this from the beginning. Kevin Feige, stay in your lane. Why are we going into Star Wars? You got... You just you just acquired all of Disney Plus shows to worry about. Why why are you messing with Star Wars? They got their own people. You got your yeah. you got your you got a lot of stuff you got to focus on. You got a fan base to to appease. And that's I think that's something that we talked about. We were just like, like, really? Come yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't diminish the quality because you see a new shiny toy over there. Just stick just play with your toys. Correct. <laughs> keep just keep stay in your lane. Yeah. So yeah, this is a no brainer of Kevin Foggy. No Star Wars. Just never. Just, that's not moving forward. Put it to bed in the trash. You know, go back home. Find and, another you know, Marvel character. How about that? <laughs> there's enough There's enough for you to go through. Yeah, weren't you happy with, you know, the, the Guardians were in space. That That's your Star Wars, right? The Marvels, Captain Marvel's all in space. That's your Star Wars. You've you played a plenty of space. You're yeah. good. Come You're on. good. Jesus. Anyway, that's <laughs> all of the, uh, well, mostly. We're still, we're still on the Marvel talk. Um, what is mostly due to the, the SAG-AFTRA SAG strike, movie and TV studios have started to make some changes to its upcoming release schedules, and we're going to start off with Marvel yet again. Uh, Deadpool just got uh, pushed back just by a few months. It will now release July 26, 2024 from its May, 24, May, 20, May 2024 release date. Um, now Deadpool 3 is the only Marvel movie that's going to be released in 2024. I think going off the course correction, I think they're giving plenty of time now for these other movies to get their shit together, make sure all the ducks are in a row. And I think that Deadpool only had like two weeks left of filming. So I think during the strike, they had a lot of time to focus on the post-production angle. So I think I heard like very soon Deadpool 3 is going to resume and kind of finish off the last two weeks of filming. And that's why they're only pushed back by two months. Mm. So I'm very excited to see Deadpool 3. I feel like it's going to be a fun ride. Um, But with that, Captain America Brave New World got pushed back by a lot of months. It will now be released February 14th, 2025 from its July uh, 2024 release date. Thunderbolts got pushed back to July 25th, 2025 from its December 2024 release date, and Blade got pushed back significantly to November 7th, 2025, from its uh, February 14th, 2025 uh, release date. So, kind of great. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. So, like, in, like, kind of reiterating, Deadpool 3, we're getting that in July. Captain America 4, we're getting that in February of 2025. Thunderbolts in July of 25 and Blade in November of 25. So we get one Marvel movie in 24 to get our bearings back in order, and then we're back on track with three movies in 25. I'm okay with that. Here, perfectly me. fine with that. Um, Disney also announced a late for its upcoming animated and live-action films. Mufasa, The Lion King, which is a prequel to the live-action Lion King film, will now be released December 20th, 2024, being pushed back from its July 5th, 2024 release date. The live-action Snow White film will now be released uh, March 21st, 2025, being pushed back by a full calendar year. So I guess that film has a lot of work to do. Well, there's been um, a lot of reported There's been a lot of reported issues with like yeah. Rachel Zegler talking about the movie. And mm-hmm. then like they, 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 they issued a 
Well, it was a, it was an image of her and the dwarves, and then there was yep. an image because they didn't want to use actual dwarf actors, but they used yep. CGI instead. Which I mean, there are so many dwarf actors that they could literally have cast an entire cat. Uh, like it just seems like they're a complete like they're just starting over. That's what it seems like. They're just yeah. like, all right, we're gonna go ahead and just huh, just start over. <laughs> give me that. Also, give me that. Give me that blank sheet of paper. <laughs> also, I think they're calling them companions now instead of dwarfs. So it, it's it's just a lie because then you also have Peter Dinklage speaking out saying that like this movie is not okay they should not be even making this movie and then Disney is obviously still working on it but maybe straying away from the dwarves but they have dwarf actors being like hey uh, we want to this this is this is our bread and butter right here so I feel like this is a lot that's kind of going on within this movie and hey, well, that kind of is that, I mean I guess that kind of is the issue like I guess. Peter Dinklage, and I remember when this was, when he yeah. was speaking out about it, I can understand his sentiment being like, like, you don't have to, to center being dwarfs, but this is an opportunity for dwarf actors to get work that mm-hmm. literally suits them. Like what, you know, but I, it's a very, it's a very complicated issue because on one hand yes. I understand his concern, but okay. Not everybody is the great Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones, right? right. Who's like, like, not everybody's in that situation. Like, the rest of us got to eat. Like, wait, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> less of us want. The rest of us want to act too. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no joke. Um, but yeah, and then also uh, Disney pushed back Pixar's Elio, which was right around the corner. It was about to be released March first, twenty twenty four. They pushed that back by over a year. That's not coming out until. Uh, June 13th, 2025. Now, the only I believe the only Pixar movie now is coming out next year in 2024 is Inside Out 2, which they just dropped a trailer for the summer. Uh, it's gonna be released the summer of 2024, and it looks good. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, like, once again, I'm not a person for trailers, but there's a couple of trailers that have yeah. caught my eye. One of which, which was the Echo one, this Inside Out trailer, I was like in my feels just from. Watching just from the trailer, it, just yeah. from the trailer, I was like, "This seems great." And I, we, you know, I remember we were talking just a little bit ago about the about how great the first one still holds up, and mm-hmm. so I'm really excited for that. But the other trailer, and we're gonna get back to the news, was the Ghostbusters trailer. Oh, that looked so good too. I was like, "Damn, I don't like trailers, but damn, that was a really good trailer." <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? I also I saw the trailer for the Avatar: The Last Airbender, the Netflix. Oh, I series. haven't seen that one yet. And it looks good. It I'm looks watching good it. Too. Doesn't matter. I'm gonna yeah, watch I'm it. it. <laughs> like a lot of good stuff is coming out next year. That's needless to say. Like I'm, we're, I'm excited for it. I didn't see the trailer, but I did see. I think it was either IGN, somebody on Instagram. They, um, they posted side by a shot comparison, side mm-hmm. by sides from the animated series, and it's almost exactly alike. It's which okay. is like a great. I think is a good thing. Like you yeah. know, com- especially compared to the live action M night Shyamalan movie. We don't talk was, about that. Which was dumpster juice. No, we've, we've already <laughs> committed too much time to talk about that. movie. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh, uh, through 20th century studios, Disney also removed magas- magazine dreams, the dark drama starring Jonathan majors off its uh, release calendar. I think that's, there's no really, really need. We need to dive into that because yeah, that's we already talked about it. We under, yeah, we understand. <laughs> yeah. It's self-explanatory on that one. Yeah. Um, Sony Pictures delayed Venom 3 by three months. The film will now be released November 8th, 2024, uh, being pushed back from its July 12th, 2024 release date. That's only by a few months. So now we're going to get 
it's more a spooky adjacent, so it's coming right after the, the Halloween season, so which is mm. fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, Warner Brothers unexpectedly shelved a movie called Coyote vs. Acme, the live-action uh, slash DC... I'm sorry, the live-action slash CG hybrid film starring John Cena. Though the film has already finished principal, product, uh, principal photography and received high praise from industry figures who have seen the cut of the film, Warner Brothers decided to not release it. This is now the third film that Warner Brothers has decided that we have a finished film and we're not putting it out. We had that with Batgirl. We have it with the Scoob. It was I think it was called Scoob Holiday Haunts or something. Uh, it was like a Scooby-Doo animated movie, a sequel to the, the other movie that came out. And now we have this one. And in my head, it just doesn't make any sense. No, it's like, why not just release it and get the, you know, just drop it on streaming. It's already done. Yes. Unless it's only the principal photographer. Well, no, you said pe people have seen a cut of the film. So yeah. it's already like wrapped in a bow, ready to go hit play. So it's it just like, what, what do you have? What do you, what do you gain to lose? off of that i mean batgirl there's a small understanding there there was a lot going on with dc at the time when they did, decided to make that call especially what's going forward some people said it was unwatchable it wasn't ready whatever the case was there is a like a 10 percent there's 10 percent of me that understands that maybe batgirl should not have been released but the animated movies come on they're for kids yeah, exactly. Come on now. Like, this would have been an easy kids movie you could have dropped on streaming for kids. Yeah, it, it's quite ridiculous why they're they're choosing not to. And even when we get down further into some of the other things that are getting canceled, I'm I'm starting to lose faith a little bit in Warner Brothers and, and some of their properties. And, like, right now, for me, Max is becoming a streaming service that if I wasn't already getting for free through my AT&T plan, I don't think I would have Max right now. I think, Ooh. for me, that would be the one I will get rid of because... There's, <laughs> it, it, for me, it's like I, you know, we do new to streaming, and mm -hmm. there, it's always one or two shows that are on Max, and the rest are reality shows and documentaries. Mm. That's that's what the takeover with Discovery, and I feel I feel like it's going to take some time for these shows to come about, especially under Max, because they're trying to restructure everything. But right now, in a world of like, I can I can unsubscribe, and I'll come back when you start delivering me some content because. I'm not about the documentaries and reality TV. I, I, I want to yeah. see some shows in there. Yeah, it almost seemed, unless there's something else behind this, you know, kind of like with the DC thing mm -hmm. before that, leading into that was, you know, with the James Gunn taking over. And there, there right. was just, there was a lot of other things involved in that movie being shelved. Maybe there's something underlying that they're just not releasing and then we're yeah. just we're just getting hey we're not releasing this movie it could be something with the character i mean i don't know it just seems very once again just seems very strange yeah um and finally kind of to wrap up our news in the world of television paramount announced that yellowstones thankfully has announced <laughs> yellowstone's second half of season five which is its final season will not pre premiere until november of 24 Paramount has announced the greenlit of two spinoff series. The first is another prequel series with the working title 1944. The other with the working title of 2024 is a sequel series that is reported to have Matthew McConaughey in the lead role. The CW announced that Superman and Lois is coming to an end after its fourth 
after its upcoming fourth season. The final season will consist of 10 episodes and will air 2024. And let's also note that that will close out the CW Berlantiverse. This will be mm-hmm. the last CW DC show to kind of close. Like, so I'm very curious. I'm almost curious to see what the end of the Berlantiverse uses that. Because this mm-hmm. is, I mean, moving forward, there's nothing really on the horizon for those those like collection of of content from there you know yeah yeah each one has gotten his end like are they just going to end it and they're not going to know like is there going to be any callback to like arrow or right. the flash or you know like anything kind of signaling that it's the end so i'll be i'm kind of very curious to see how specifically how that's going to end Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, J.J. Abrams, the J.J. Abrams Constantine series, as well as other DC projects under his Bad Robot production company that was expected to lead in, uh, into a large part of Justice League Dark Universe has all been canceled by Max. But I think this is a response to them maybe foreseeing that they were going to, they were having the same issue as Marvel where Mm -hmm. they were kind of just kind of spreading themselves thins thin with so much content and not necessarily focusing on what they're going, what they're working on. Like maybe like, unless this was an Elseworld project, like James Gunn's like, well, I don't want none of that. Like we don't need right. that. Like we, we don't. I like you're gonna ruin in my vision. I can't have <laughs> like at least not yet. Like maybe this is not what I wanted to do. Yeah, and it definitely feels like. I mean, I'm not sure if James Gunn has any plans on utilizing Constantine or Justice League Dark Universe, but with James Gunn now taking over all of DC, like it makes sense that J.J. Abrams projects kind of got sidelined. I mean, I think. I mean, we we were talking about that about maybe a year and a half to two years ago that J.J. Abrams working on it. And we haven't seen anything develop of it since, mainly because of the, uh, you know, with the transition of power with Discovery buying out Warner Brothers. But yeah, and then obviously James Gunvidal. But yeah, I was was kind of sad to see that because, you know, if it could have lived in Elseworld, I would have liked to see how that would have turned out. But given everything that's going on, I completely understand. Superman and Lois, four seasons, not a bad run at all. Um, I, I, again, also makes sense. I I think earlier last year, well, last year we got the end or earlier this year, we got the end of Titans. This year, we just got the end of Doom Patrol. So all of these shows are kind of getting their wrap ups and they're kind of paid like like they're kind of emptying the slate of all dc content right now and then they're moving you know james gunn's now just moving in and we're like all right guys here we go we're doing this right here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um we still have to wait a whole nother year to see you know superman legacy or then some almost you know a year and a half um but we might be getting stuff with creature commandos coming out next year but yeah it's dc DC's taking its time. Like it's kind of funny because we were talking. This majority of this news has been brought to you by Marvel and DC and, and sorry, Marvel and Disney. And James Gunn's just sitting back over here. Is like, don't you worry, guys. <laughs> I got you. That's why I mean, you were kind of yeah. knocking on WB and DC, but I'm I'm here for the changeup. See, I yeah. I think a lot of this stuff is just the studios and the creatives' recognition that they did that with the pandemic and i think a lot of it has to do with that too sure. with wanting to make sh- you know make sure people had enough content but the problem is is that people aren't spending as much time at home anymore so no. they don't need to produce as much 
as needed. So you're, you know, they don't need to oversaturate the market as much as they did before. So I under, so Very I'm true. appreciative of the pullback and then like, let's reduce what we're putting out and let's focus on the few things that we do have out to make sure that we're giving quality over quantity. Yeah. And I feel like now, again, given with everything we talked about with the streaming wars is that we're going to start seeing a big pullback on content and we're just really just going to focus on the the shows and movies that are important and what we actually want to represent our the streaming services out there yeah which i'm totally fine with Mm -hmm. um so there you go that is our lengthy entertainment news section if you want all the latest and breaking news you can always follow us on our social media channels on instagram at box office underscore bingers or our facebook and threads page at box office bingers we'll post all of the news over there first and well, most of the news over there first, and we'll come back in the show and we'll talk about it. So with that, we're going to be moving. We're going to be moving on to a fun segment we like to call "What You're Watching." So, Nestor, with our start with you, what have you been watching? So, Matt, let me tell you. So, I've I've been besides the House of Usher, which we and my wife were currently still watching, and I think by the time we get her to come on, maybe I'll save the end for that so we can have a conversation with her on that but like mm-hmm. we're still watching house house of usher uh mike flanagan's uh final show on netflix which is mm-hmm. it's fantastic it is absolutely fantastic like it's like i think what i've realized now with his content is that each one is a little different in its own way whereas like haunting on hill house was scary was kind of like more jump scare <clears throat> scary um blind manor it was like more of like a sad family story that was kind of scary uh midnight mass was just like religious horror um i didn't see um the other one the 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 series that oh, was the like, midnight club what was that like a ya scary would you yeah. would you classify that as and whereas this is kind of like it's just it's just different it's a little different but it's got it's got it's darker but with like a mike flanagan flair like you can Mm -hmm. tell that he echoes from this you know from edgar adam poe's writings and it is it's it's very refreshing it's just it's a like you're gonna when you i don't know if if you've watched it yet or, or if you're gonna if you plan on watching it it is worth the watch the writing is good the acting is good you know he brings his his core people on that he that he uses but so I, we're watching that that's like the only real show i'm watching i'm kind of intermittently watching jack ryan but i feel myself in like a show hole and previously like i would just kind of like mindlessly put on other shows until i would find something that i was interested in and i think what i realize now is that when i get to these points is that i just need to switch mm. Because I start, so I decided, you know what, maybe this week, maybe I'll just, I'll pick up some movies, like Mm -hmm. instead of going to a show. So I actually knocked out, I've got three movies I'm going to talk to you about that I saw this past week. The first one is Netflix. It's called Reptile. It's a 2023 Mm. American crime thriller uh, written by Grant Singer I'm Benjamin Brewer, starring Benicio Del Toro, Justin Timberlake, and Alicia Silverstone. It's kind of like a dark neo-noir story where Benicio Del Toro is trying to solve a mystery. And it's kind of like, you know, like the private investigator, you know, the the cop trying to uncover it. You just just unraveling a, a whodunit and it's involving drugs and money. 
it's it's about two it's a little bit over two hours long i for the most part i really enjoyed it i do think there's like some sub there's like one or two little mini subplots that didn't get flushed out but i think it's i think it's a great movie it's a great neo-noir like it's a great watch like it's it's a good like if you're in for a dark neo thriller like this is the one this is the one to go for uh, it's got corruption you know dirty cops the whole deal like you know it's yeah. very you very much you know what you're getting yourself into uh, i kind of wish i i kind of wish i had we got more from justin timberlake because i've seen him in other things that he's been really good in like um the one with the time is it out of time i think is the name of the movie in in time in time that i thought that was a great movie where you mm-hmm. know it was kind of not the same kind of feel but it shows that he has like he can do like dark acting so yeah um other than that it, it was pretty good yeah i saw the trailer for it it didn't pique my interest enough to want to watch it so i kind of just put that one aside yeah um the next movie i watched is old dads uh bill <laughs> bill burr's movie on netflix yeah. and it is fucking hilarious bill burr <laughs> bobby canada bokeen woodbine um kind of just talks about these fathers who are later in life and kind of very much adapting it's maybe it's basically like bill burr's comedy and this is his director he directed this movie this is his mm-hmm. directorial debut um kind of like showcasing like the the things in society it's basically his comedy on stage that he's put into movie form and it's mm-hmm. and it's really fantastic like he kind of talks about cancel culture and just like political correctness but he's able to bring it back in a way that is what's what's the best way to say it it's like you know if you think 2 and 2 plus 5 2 and 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 5 then that's fine you go you go live your life like you can think whatever whatever you want to do but it's kind of like dealing with cancel culture, but then also understanding that kind of giving you the understanding that everybody's allowed to have their own views and kind of it there. Like it wasn't just a comedy. There actually was a message on it, but it's freaking it's hilarious. I think I think it's definitely, definitely worth the watch. Hmm. Uh, the next movie I watched, I went to the theaters and I saw The Marsh King's Daughter. It's, oh, it's, it's okay. A 2023 American psychological thriller directed by Neil Berger, written by Ellie Smith and Mark Smith. It's based on a 2017 novel with the same name by Karen Dion. It's got Daisy Ridley, Ben Mendelsohn. So basically, Ray meets up with the guy, uh, the scroll from, <laughs> from Secret <laughs> Invasion. He yeah. comes back. Uh, <laughs> no, it follows Helena, who's Ridley. She's she's a child of a of her and her mom were kidnapped by ben mendelson's character and the movie i'm not giving it away not giving too much away they she finds this way to escape but the daughter has grown up in like almost like this stockholm environment so like you know she grew up loving her father not really understanding but the mom was held captive for so long that she was raped by him and was had a baby with him so they she was like double trapped with him but then it evolves into this like this kind of like survivalist story and kind of like how she the relationship between a parent and a child it it just deals with some themes like like you know talking about forgiveness and trauma and like 
how you see somebody like how you really see somebody who raised you for all these years and then come to find out that they're this psycho killer and like they've done like all these terrible terrible things so it's it was really interesting it's it, it's got some issues it was a li- it was a little long um but ultimately i actually thought it was a decent film um great okay. perform daisy ridley had a gave a great performance and so did ben mendelson um it was it was really interesting so one of the last things i'm going to talk about so and this is this kind of ties into our disney conversation i you know i really enjoy those uh south park specials (laughs) so i saw i don't know if you know what i'm talking about i saw south park joining the pandaverse in, in pandaverse it, it's a 2020 it came out this year in 2023 it exclusively on paramount plus which i thought was interesting yeah. because you can see south bars on max as well but this special specifically is only on paramount plus so it yeah. starts with like cartman he has this he has these dreams and it's like <laughs> it's like the woke verse is what they call it or like the panda verse and it's like you're gonna do this movie make it what did he say he said put a woman in it and make her gay like (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah it it go it it goes there as south park usually does you're right but it points out all these issues that that disney or at least they perceive what disney's issues have been in their past projects and it just Mm. and it's making fun of them it's making fun of ai but disney but south park has like for years has always made fun of Disney. Yeah. They like they all I mean they have with the whole Mickey Mouse series they did. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it but it's like to me it's it's hilarious if you are if you are a South Park fan. I understand that South Park is not everybody's flavor. Um but I thought the satire and the political commentary that they put into it um I I was here for it. I actually thought it was really funny. Um so if South Park is your flavor. Um this is like I feel like we're getting back to like early days of South Park where it's just no holes bars. Like they make fun of anybody and everybody. And this is why I think they've been successful for so many years. Like mm-hmm. they can get away with it. It's, you know, I mean, look what they did to Tom Cruise. They, and R Kelly, they have a whole episode called trapped in the closet. <laughs> and it's talking about R Kelly doing crazy shit. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like it just talks about all of that. I mean, we have the whole Scientology episode, uh, of South Park. So I definitely think that it is worth the watch. And I do believe that is the end of my long winded <laughs> this. I had a, I had quite a bit. I felt I felt good about going into movies. Going in. Yeah, like and I, I feel good. I'm like, you know, maybe I just need a maybe I just need to switch back and forth between movies and TV, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's funny because you had a a movie heavy you know week and I and I did the opposite I had a TV TV heavy uh, week um, but you mentioned South Park yeah I'm not a big South Park guy as you know uh, but I do find it interesting that many years ago it was because Paramount technically does own or Viacom owns South Park but they made a large deal with with HBO and Max to have all their episodes exclusively over there, even the new ones. So their workaround for for Paramount Plus, so they have South Park content, are these specials, these like these movies that they put out that are very specific. And so that's kind of Disney uh, Paramount Plus's workaround with all the South Park content. 
And there's a lot of them too. And I'm sure uh, that there's going to be an election one next year. The, oh, there. Uh, yes. Because <laughs> I think the last big one was the Obama one. Like they were famously like they released the episode the day after the election, and they actually cut two versions of their episode. Oh, wow. One of each. One of each person winning, so they knew which one to air. That's that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I. I as much as I don't watch South Park and it's not my jam, I do respect that what they're able to do for these many years. I mean, you don't you don't you don't have a, you know, 15 up to 20 seasons or is it more than that? 22, uh, 23. It's some it's a crazy. Let's see. Yeah, it's, it's I know, I know it's, a, it's a crazy number, but you don't you don't get that if you don't, you know, know what you're doing and doing it well. So I can I can respect on what they do. I just I'm just not gonna watch it. Twenty six seasons for a, a total of three hundred and twenty six episodes. Wow, that's that's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they're doing something right for all these years, and and I think part of it is that they've been up to date and be able to make fun of it. Yeah, and people resonate with that. Um, and also the like the, the commitment that they do it to make sure that they are really really up to date with current events. I mean, I think um, about how many enemies they make. <laughs> how many how many groups of people hate them <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's plenty um but uh i guess sticking along the uh the movie train i did watch uh tetris on apple tv plus starring mm. taron egerton megan and i we had a good time watching that movie i don't know why we sat on it for so long uh it was a lot of fun it's like it, it is a crazy story of how tetris came to be um, at least proceed in this movie. So we were pretty glued to it. Um, if you haven't watched it already, it's on Apple TV Plus. Um, kind of the story of how the rights of Tetris became where they are and kind of its rise to fame. Now, actually, it's not really the rise to fame at all. It was already known that it was going to be popular. The The whole movie is just like how to obtain the, the handheld rights and the arcade rights and who owns what and how's you know russia's large involvement with with it and how all the basically all the details they had to go to to secure the rights and the shadiness that was going on between like three different companies it was really fascinating i really enjoyed it and it was also just very entertaining um but aside from that one movie i did spend a lot of time watching three shows in particular one of which is that i binged this in less than 24 hours it was my halloween binge as i call it i watched the entirety of house of the fall of the usher and Ernesto, I'm I can't wait to have this conversation with you because I I think this is one of Mike Flanagan's best. Friends. So I'm gonna so what I what I want to do because I I think we'll be done by next week. But since mm-hmm. my wife is gonna be coming on in two weeks, when she comes on, I think I want to hold I want to hold that one for that episode. Yeah. So when we yeah. So when we come, so I so yes, I do want to hear I want to hear your thoughts specifically. But let's yeah. maybe we'll have a long conversation in two weeks. I, I'm so excited yeah. to talk about this show. Yeah, and and I feel like and I'll I'll keep it I'll keep it uh you know I'm not going to talk about any spoilers or anything obviously, but I'll keep it brief and by saying that I think I I it feels like House of the Fall of the Usher has been a culmination of all of Mike Flanagan's past work, mm-hmm. and he just was able to perfectly weave it into one story. He was able to find the writings of Edgar Allan Poe and developed all of those stories into one interconnected, like it just felt seamless 
it felt so seamless. Felt so real. He was able to. It felt yes. It just felt like which is a weird, which is a weird comment to make, but that is the word that comes to mind when I watch his pro. When I watch it, when I watch his shows, like I feel like it's really happening. Like, and it's not even with the CGI that shoes. It's just the way that he constructs the story. Like per like one one thing that I notice is, uh, that he makes it look like without really going into it that that the main character, the father, to the outside world, just looks like he's going crazy. Just looks like it's a man mm-hmm. going crazy because of grief. But whereas you get this totally interconnected supernatural story that just fits so seamlessly into the plot. Right. And I mean, and, they, and I don't know where you are, uh, but five. obviously... Like, five. Episode five. Five. Okay, After yeah. the cat. Uh, we just, the last cat. episode was oh. the cat. Got it. Um, yeah, I just feel like that he does an amazing job of just telling a story. Like it just feels very seamless. One could think like these were these are based off writings of Edgar Allan Poe. Like wow, like you were able to do that and give us uh, basically uh, it, like you're you're telling me this is all wasn't one story. You're diving into multiple stories, and you can see the formula a little bit from there. And I feel like he's taken. A little bit from Midnight Club, a little bit of Hill House, a little bit of Bly Manor, a little bit from Midnight Mass, taking all those actors from all those various projects and just like delivering us gold right yeah. now. Like I, I will consider this a masterpiece from Mike Flanagan. And I, I double checked. That man has not received any Emmy recognition. And that is a that shame. is a fucking crime. Like, <laughs> like, like not even for Hill House. Like I like maybe maybe not the other ones, but Hill House, not even that one. I, I, I'm hoping that maybe this will give him his due, but like for what he has done for the horror genre, like I feel like, and and I and this is a conversation also. I think I would love to get Brandon's take on because mm. I just like to me he's he's up there, like just the yeah. way that he writes, the way that he can. There's not one project that he's given me that I that I haven't liked. Even Hush, one yeah. of his really earlier projects, that I didn't even know that it was him who made it, and his wife mm-hmm. is the main lead in that. And that movie's mm-hmm. fucking incredible. That is an incredible scary yeah. movie. That barely any that a lot of it is, and even that one, it's not even like a lot of jump scares. It's just a lot of implied horror. Which is a lot of that yeah, background I, shit that he likes to do, which I love. I love that he does that. Yeah, and, and that's the crazy part. It's like he it's not about the jump scares. No. It's 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 not about making you scared. It's it's honestly making you scared in a way you didn't know how to be scared about. You know what I mean? It's, it's very like, implied. It's like implied yes. scares, which is like, oh shit, like I didn't know that was there. Or it's and then the jump scares like are so jarring that it's like yes. you jump oh, it's <laughs> You're, I mean, you're right. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I like again, without going into further detail, I can't wait for you to finish the series. I think it ends on a really strong note. <sighs> um, and I think it's just a big, it's, it's a big loss for Netflix to have, you know, it's, it's a big loss for Netflix, but a huge gain for Prime. Yeah. Maybe they'll um, give him more creative I'll, freedom. That would be maybe. like, like, are, are we going to see an unhinged Mike Flanagan? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I look, I, I'm, I'm, he's already proved it for me for Hill House, and he continues to prove it with with his other projects. I'm on board for the future of Mike Flanagan, and I hope it's bright I agree. because it's, it's fan, it's like especially in the horror genre. But I would love to see him branch out, and for whatever reason, if they ever give him a Marvel, Star Wars, anything in the nerd world strap in boys mm. i was like whoa honestly instead of sam Raimi, 
for Doctor Strange, they should have given that to Mike yeah. Flanagan if he was available. Any kind of any horror, any character that's related, maybe he should have did Morbius. Like anything mm-hmm. that's horror related, they should give to this man. They should just let mm-hmm. him do it because 100%. he is he is fantastic. Um, but yeah, but moving on from uh, House of the Fall, the Usher, I did also binge all of Gen V on mm. on uh, on Prime. It That's is next on the list. It's a I've heard good things. Great show. It's it's a great show. I like I binged the first six episodes because uh, that's what was out at the time, and then I watched the last two. Um, and uh, it's it's what a spinoff should strive for. Like mm. it very much acts on its own, but little mentions of the bigger boys universe, and it acts as both a continuation of the boy season three but also very much its own thing and i i think it does a better job at the boys of like giving us a lot of characters that we can attach to and seeing what their problems are and how they can control their powers under this like university setting um and that i feel like we were just able to get more out of it instead of with the boys it's just been like bot is bad um, and the seven is corrupt and Vod is corrupt and the boys are trying to stop it. This dived into much deeper content because we were getting a different perspective on this whole corrupt world that we have going on. So I, I think it's, it was a really well done. Like there were, it, it's equally as violent and gory and absurdity and ridiculousness. And if you thought the boys pushed the boundaries, this one took it a step further in many ways. Um, I laughed. I was like, oh, damn, they didn't have to do it that way. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it, it was a great show. And it was already renewed for a second season. So I think they have something something good there. And I think if I, like, the creator, because it's both the boys and Gen V, um, he said that, like, like, you had the boys season three, Gen V picked up from there. And then you're going to have the boys season four and then the Gen V season two will pick up after the events of season four. So it really mm. does feel like like it's it's a continuation. Um, but, it, it, you know, if they keep doing it, like I feel like that they found a nice balance between the two shows that it's like we can maybe get one of these shows every other year and it's good. So question for you now, do you feel are there without giving it away? Are there things that happen in this season that will make you not understand the boy season four. Very minimal. Like uh, mm. there are. So you don't need to watch this no. to understand the boy season four is where I'm getting. I'm at. I'm, I'm going to say no, because most of the characters that were brought in from the boys franchise were pretty much dealing with the, the, the problems and the events that were happening within that show. Oh, okay. So okay. The, I don't think they, they really didn't dive deep into the bigger problems of what the boys were going through so so yeah so i i think i think season four would probably pick up right where um you know season three left off and gen v is a nice little bonus if you want some extra content in there now that being said we haven't seen the boys season four yet so maybe there were some elements that made gen v required viewing but given what they did with gen v i don't think they're going to do that so okay um and the last thing that i binged was loki season two mm. and like i was saying i don't know if i want to dive into it too much i w- i will say this because i feel like next week we're gonna be talking about the marvels and i feel like there might be some connected tissue between the two things so i don't want to dive too deep into it 
Um, I kind of want to bring it back up again next week. Uh, okay. And also, so and also, we'll leave it. I also want to give you a chance to watch it, and you don't have to, but I think I'll dive into more of it next week. But I have watched Loki season two, and it, what's really funny about it was that I think I remember talking about this two weeks ago, and I said, "There's not much buzz around this show." Like I, I felt no reason to like immediately watch it. And then episode, there was an episode that aired. I don't want to give, I don't want to give you specifics, but there was an episode that aired that I was like, oh wait, people are now finally talking about this. So I feel like I need to binge it, or else it's, something's gonna get spoiled for me. So like I binged the first four episodes, and then I watched five and six uh, when they were dropped. And I will say this: finishing out Loki season two gives me a lot of hope for the MCU. So even with even with the issues of Jonathan Majors, and I'm assuming he is a forefront in this in this not a, in the season, not a forefront, but definitely a a uh, a, a main player. A main, I would say like a secondary I, villain. It's he's he, hmm. he he is a player, not a main player. Okay. Yes. Okay. So like it it, it does he is a focus, but not the focus. Okay. And honestly, it it, it took the finale. For me to like the finale for me really changed my mind on what this season was and where the future of the MCU can go. It, it was the finale that really did it for me. I was like, okay. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to give you a chance to watch it because I really want to talk about it. Uh, but I'll save that. Even if you don't, I'll save my, my feelings and thoughts for next week. Uh, okay. Um, but with that, that's all we've been watching. So now we're going to be diving into our spoiler review of Anatomy of the Fall. Of sorry, Anatomy of a Fall, um, our foreign film of the month. It's a French film. It's been a lot of buzz in the Oscar season. Uh, well, a lot of buzz in the awards season. Ernesto, your thoughts on the film? Well, I think I should get the song back up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to tell you that I um, absolutely love this movie. I have, first, I need to say thank you to you for forcing mm-hmm. us to watch this movie. You're like, I think this movie is going to be worth it. And you know what, sir? You were 100% correct. I think this was a great, great foreign film pick. I mean, we get this very personal look at this couple's marriage through the death investigation of her husband. I think that in itself, and then you can, if you're watching along, we have the poster um, showcasing it, and I think it kind of details like everything that, like first of all, this poster very well made. It's like from the mm-hmm. left, just how it was constructed. I think it tells a lot about the story just in that. I mean, she's sitting there holding her son in, in you know, in sadness, but it doesn't really give away what the whole story is about. Um, it kind of is also, and I don't know, I didn't get a chance to look it up, but it is an interesting look into the Jude of what the judicial system of France is, it seems Mm -hmm. like they take into account a lot of feelings and a lot of inter of like what the intent, it seems like intent is what, Mm -hmm. what they really, really focus on. And they do that through, through a variety of different ways. I mean, that one prosecutor on the other side was like really, really hounding in on her. I also heard a review which I didn't consider until I heard this, is that them forcing them, forcing her to speak French, knowing that French is her second language, is already mm. putting her at a disadvantage when she's trying to um, 
convey, which is trying to like convey her. these very yeah. complicated these very complicated issues, and we see that showcase halfway through the the court hearing where she's just like, "Fuck it!" Like I'm switching to English because like I can't it, I can't convey to you what I need to through through us trying to translate. Like I, it's just not gonna come across correctly. I thought that the audio fight. So okay, well, oh, well, for, yeah. there's two, there's two other main, there's two main things. I think that the fifty cent cover that they use in the beginning, I think, what a great way to set a tone for the story and to really, without really spending a lot of time with this character, by him playing that song in the beginning and elevating the volume, it speaks literally speaks volumes about his character and where he was mentally. It's like that is some high level petty shit to do <laughs> sit there and blare that knowing that she's having that but and that's without the context of knowing of this i mean he would literally you know we come to find out that he would he would uh he would record their fights together so we get this extremely intimate conversation between a husband and a wife i mean how horrifying for uh, the actress um, Sandra Hewler, who plays, uh, I believe her name is Helena, um, in the movie, uh, how yeah, inc- uh, how incredibly like personal, you know? Just uh, I just think it was I think it was just really 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 well done. Um, since you played Sandra in the movie, Sandra, the, yeah, okay, so she started the same name as the actress. Interesting. Okay. And maybe that's why I thought it was wrong. Cause I was like, I thought maybe it was Sandra, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Matt, what about you? Yeah. So I, as, as usual, this, you know, this is not actually the movie that I was expecting to watch, but also I didn't have any, I didn't even watch the trailer. I solely picked this movie off the buzz. I didn't, I didn't feel the need to watch it. I feel like, you know, this, if the buzz is already generating this high, we should at least give it a chance. So I kind of went in there with zero prior knowledge of what this was aside from the trailer. I mean, aside from the poster, it looked like there was going to be a murder mystery involved. Um, But I think what I wasn't expecting was like this whole movie was not about, it was about the murder, obviously, but it wasn't about whether or not she did it. It was, it was literally, it would kind of what the title suggests anatomy of the fall. It was more or less the process from beginning to end of how all of this kind of went about. And then I feel like the movie in a way gave us all of the pieces in, in the midst of this trial. And they're like, they like, they didn't show us what really happened because nobody saw it. What really happened. So at the end of the day, it's up for the audience to kind of draw their own conclusions based off the facts and the evidence and again spoilers um we realized that she was innocent within there but i think there was for me what was intriguing about this whole movie was that we were the 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 filmmakers told us the audience to be the jury of of this whole thing even though we didn't really have a say how the outcome turned out but i felt like a juror listening to all the facts and seeing whether or not she was innocent or not and i feel like that to me was the most interesting part about this movie because i felt really engaged with it and it was like, okay, yeah, okay, this is this and this is that. And, like, you have a history of lying. You already lied to them before. And then the brutal uh, recording of their of their fight oh was 
I feel like that was like the turning point of the movie of being like, okay, maybe what I thought was and was, and you know, they, we just kept giving more information that kind of switched my perspective on a character or a situation. And I, it was done very, especially well. with her, like, cause it was like, you know, well, you withheld this information before. It's like, well, if I would have told you this before, then you thought it was guilty. It's like, but you seem more guilty now than that with yes. you withholding <laughs> this information, even though she was innocent, but she's in, but it also gives the additional layer that she's in this foreign land. So it's like, you're like, you're talking to, a, to her. It's like a bunch of aliens who, who see mm-hmm. you as this outsider who killed one of their own, especially that they are living in this remote town where everybody knows him. And, and you're just the German lady he brought back with him. Like, yeah. like, what did you do to our poor man? Like, even if he did, and it's almost like that, even if, that they it's almost like they didn't even care that he committed suicide because they would blame his suicide on her on the things that she did right. on what she imposed on his life but then i mean there is some really really masterful powerful writing throughout this entire film i mean there's just one point where she's talking to him and she's talking to him about dreams and just like expectations and and him voicing his concerns about wanting to be able to grow as a writer but understanding that as a parent like two people can't have a super successful career if you have a child like the sacrifice of you having that child is that one of you has to take a step back and can't give yourself all to your career because there is something immediate like the life of this human being you created that requires your 100% attention. And then we see that he feels guilt because, you know, the times where he did, you know, they asked the babysitter to get him and then it involved his son, this whole other layer of his son being like injured, like severely injured. Like he's basically blind for the rest of his life. And the father, I mean, I would blame myself too. He blames himself for his son being blinded because he decided to stay home and write a script that, they were to get and then they got someone to pick up the baby and like you know what a what a complicated thing to say to her you know to to fault her for even if it was momentary to blame him like you can't like yeah you can't blame him but of course you know like well technically if you weren't doing this thing then you would have been able to pick him up and there's a good possibility that that wouldn't happen so like that guilt is justified. Like, of course you're going to feel that way, but then why, you know, it's being stuck in that pattern and her, the problem is, is that instead of her realizing that her partner needed help, she decided to completely pull back, like, and just recluse into herself. Yeah. And, and I feel like that throughout the movie, there were just a lot of, uh, I guess to say, I want to. I don't want to use the word clues, but there was just a lot of information that was presented to us, and was like, is is what you're saying actually valuable? Is what the the child saying actually valuable? What I also found more interesting was like the connection that, like the what what strain that brought to the family between the mother and the son yes. within this trial, and the son was like, now I have to go up on the stand. There's some new evidence that that I that I feel. He even shoved his mother away, saying, "I can't be in the same house with you anymore because of the information that I might have discovered and need to talk about in trial." Um, like they even had a a person that what was what, what was what was her role? It was more like a yeah, and I thought uh, that was interesting. That it, it, it's yeah. almost like 
like sequestering the child so that he's not influenced by anybody since they were going to use him to testify. It was just, you know, that it was like that more than, than anything. It was just so interesting. And she was almost like the deciding factor. And I think, you know, that's something that I don't know if I've ever seen here because they're both because of their involvement, um, of her involvement in the case on whether or not she killed him or not, like not forcing them to be together. And like this kid, like having his innocence ripped away from him, like, you know, yeah. Can you imagine? I I would be mortified to hear, like, you know, to have all your personal relationship aired out to your child. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not the right venue for that. Like that's, and like, you know, he doesn't need to hear the intimate workings of their, of their fights of like, like, Oh my gosh. Like you shouldn't have to hear that side of your father. Like that is soul crushing. Like I could, yeah. But also like they, they, the, the judge told the son that you can't be in the, in the courtroom for this. And he said that I feel like I need to. And he, he, to a certain extent, he had a point, Right. Because it is, and I understand, because it is like, you know, I would want to know everything if it was going to be pertaining to the death of my father. Like, I would want right. to know everything. It doesn't matter if I'm not ready. Like, I'm going to have to be ready. And maybe that's the point, is that, like, his innocence was taken from him, and it's perceived to maybe be in that courtroom where somebody could have preserved it and, like, hid him away. But then what does that speak to the life he's going to live after that? Like, like, right. yeah, you know, everybody goes through hard shit and they have to learn shit. Maybe not at what who at some other person's predetermined time. Like this was just the time that this kid's innocence was robbed from him. You know, he had to come home and watch his dad bleed out and die in the snow. And then he had to watch this long drawn out case to uh, to to understand and to ultimately find out why his dad killed himself, which is equally like just as sad (laughs) yeah and but also we again uh, i think the beauty about this movie is that we don't really know exactly what happened like we don't know i I know they the blood spatter at the end they they they, i think they definitively say that you know she is innocent i mean that was the end of the film no they they do that but they do they she is innocent and then like the 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 mother and the son kind of reconcile at the end of the day and being like i I, like well, even well, the the son also did a did a very dangerous experiment with his dog, the dog that's helping you see, by the yeah, way, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and and did a very dangerous experiment to make sure, like he knew exactly what he needed to do and make the dog be the test subject on if these pills that this pills were actually suicidal or not, or at least can cause death, um, and then for him that was kind of like a like, wow, my dad maybe did try to kill himself because. This is the same issues that were happening a few months ago. Um, I, I think they presented a lot of evidence that proved that he did commit suicide. But I feel like there's always a part of that conversation where like, or did he? Yeah. We, we don't know. know. Like, like we, we don't know. But I feel like part of it, like, that's not really part of the story. I mean, I feel like in, for me, the back of my mind was like, I really like the, the, the person who wants answers like the the side of me that just wants the the answer and and wants the movie just to tell me what the outcome was and what really happened this movie wasn't about that at all like i said we were like the juror in the sense we were just presented with all the facts and we were kind of dragged through this court case for two and a half hours and kind of just deliberately just being like you know these are what happened and i think that was a difficult decision to make because even the 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 guy the, the prosecutor 
was also like, well, you, <laughs> he's like, I'm quoting your literature work and you, you know, talked about, you know, doing these, these acts of killing people or alluding to killing people and all this stuff. It's like, it's right here in the writing. And then they kept saying like, this is work of fiction. This is not a biography. And it's like, well, there's a lot of relatabilities to, to her work. That's like, he, he makes a point. I thought he was a great lawyer oh my gosh. on the other side of that. He was fantastic. But this is, but it's, it, and I think the way and and it was just the way they constructed it it just made this courtroom drama just so captivating like i was yeah thoroughly involved like honestly i could have watched another 20 or 30 minutes of that of just them mm. deliberating through the court like it, i could have watched another 30 minutes of it i just found it i found it the way and the way they shot it just so fascinating uh yeah i i also found it really interesting of like they went through different scenarios like in their home, kind of reenacting reenacting the events that might have happened, and they were throwing off a dummy off That's the roof crazy. to see how it would have landed. And like also just for you, like they're kind of like as a person who's the owning the home is kind of invading your space and doing all these different experiments on like what could happen. And then the boy was pretty confident. The son was pretty confident about when he heard like the argument, but then he made a mistake. And it's hard to feel like you know I don't think he was trying to protect anybody, but I felt. And what a performance on on um, on the on the on the kid actor uh, uh, Milo, like he he I felt that he is like genuinely genuinely beating himself up because he felt almost certain that he knew exactly where he was standing based off the wood markings of where he thought he heard the conversation, but then after doing it, he realized that no, it was actually here, and that kind of changed the whole perspective of that particular um that 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 particular part of the court case um and i and i felt it that he felt like man i messed up and i know it too and he realized that how important that was to not mess mm -hmm. up um but yeah and then even him going back to court and kind of uh going back on the stand and kind of reliving that it's man it it, it was it, it, there was a lot there i mean there and there still is a lot to unpack of like what it's there's is yeah it's, it's i'm trying to i'm thinking a lot right now but it's it was a well-made fantastic film. this is a fantastic film i could totally see why a i mean it is a masterpiece i mean it just the way it's constructed like it's the whole package the directing is fantastic the cinematography is great mm -hmm. the writing to me this is like top notch writing like it is so good the this how they enthrall you into their relationship and like how you're able to feel for all these characters also like sandra mueller like i want to see oscar nominations next year i want to mm -hmm. see oscar nominations for for writing i want to see it i would love to see this up for best picture like maybe that's why they're not going for the foreign film but it needs to at least it needs to be for best picture i think this is a fantastic film that I don't think needs to, this cannot be ignored. It's, it's so good. Yeah. And, and I'm, I am curious to see if it's in the best picture conversation. Obviously we won't know until February really. Yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely up there. I'm not sure if it's like my personally favorite mil film, but I definitely see a ton of attributes of where I feel like the nomination should be going. Um, especially with like, I, I think the cinematography was gorgeous. I think that's These for me was the highlight of France. It was beautiful. Yeah. And also the lead performance by uh by Sandra Huller. Like I think she did a phenomenal performance. And as far as kid actors go, 
Milo Gar- uh, Gr- Grainer, he did a fantastic job as well. Like just, like you said, kind of giving us that innocence, but also we, I think we saw him grow up in this court case as yeah, well. Literally watched his innocence be robbed from him. I mean, yeah. gosh. Um, and, yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then also for Sandra, Sandra Huller, like we see this, this like at the beginning again you don't know like we were given very little evidence or little information to see where we sway with how we feel about her but there are many moments where i felt most of everything she was saying is with confidence and like earnest yes. like and and if she was lying in any way i feel like there was a lot of reasons to back it up um as she explained there as well i think she very like she represented herself very well yeah. um within this whole process and like she was very thoughtful of like her son being involved. But what I found interesting was that I think given like her relationship with her husband, I don't think there was a lot of moments of grieving unless this was, unless the grieving process was kind of ripped from her as well because of the court. That's what I think. I think, I think that she wasn't allowed to grieve because immediately, Mm -hmm. you know, she called the cops and then it, you know, they didn't immediately rule it as a suicide. So it's a homicide. And guess what? You're our main suspect. (laughs) Especially yeah. since you're this outsider and our friend who has lived here and then came back with you, like he's the one who's dead and you're the one who's here. So we need to do right. our friend justice and do a thorough investigation. And then that's what we see is this long drawn out process. It's like, you know, she's being pulled back and forth. It's like, like, what time do you get to grieve? And I think and now that you bring it up, it almost because. At the end of the movie, I thought like I thought like the court case would be the end, but we get a little bit of exposition afterwards. And mm-hmm. I feel like afterwards we get this moment where her where she starts to just sob and is very quiet mm-hmm. and somber. And I feel like that's the moment where she was finally allowed to grieve for the death of her husband. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because the entire movie she was just vulnerable. Like I, I would equate what they put her through in that trial is like sitting there and then you're being forced to stand there while somebody strips you naked. And like, you're just, yeah. you just have to take it like, Hey, we're going to look at the most intimate and vulnerable parts of your entire life. And we're going to analyze them for the sake of trying to find out if you killed your husband or not. And that's just what's going to happen. And it doesn't really matter if you're okay with that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but I mean, and boy, did they strip her of literally every single detail that they can get her at of like, you know, this and that and your thoughts and feelings. And I feel like that was like, again, going back to the recorded fight. And then we went there and even discussing because at the time it's like, okay, so you're German, but you're speaking a lot of English. Like that doesn't make any sense. But then they're like, even there's a lot of clarity of like, we, we English was a middle ground. Like, you know, and it makes sense. You know, yeah. Yeah. And like it, to, to me, I, I do agree with you that the script was, and the way that the film was presented, I feel like it was just done very well. I, I feel like the pacing was also for a two and a half hour movie. I, th- I feel like they were slow at parts. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. But, yeah. More in the yeah. first. I feel like in the first act, there were some like in the build, in the build up to the court to the court hearing. I felt like it was a little slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was and it was more about just for us just slowly discovering the character. Yeah. I mean, more and, and just like seeing where where she lands and like her where and even we even got more about I, I think this was kind of out of left field because I wasn't really expecting it of like her having an affair and like her even having 
any interest in the reporter at the very beginning of the movie. I wasn't even thinking anywhere near that based on their their interactions with each other. But then when they presented it, I was like, okay, maybe she was trying to make a move and make the husband jealous. We don't know. Um, We don't know if that was her intent or not. But she, again, pleaded herself very well. Again, I think it was just a very well done movie. Um, I can see it. I can see her for lead actress. I can see her for writing. I can see her for cinematography. I'm not sure if I can go for best director, but I can see it for best picture. Okay. I'll give you that. I just think the way, just the way the, the courtroom part of it was constructed and the back and forth and just how visually we were able to get to everything. I, I just, I, I was just mm-hmm. fully, fully involved, fully enthralled. Fully and, and I just really, really enjoyed the movie. And I have to thank you for kind of suggesting it and kind of getting us like, you know, I asked you, I said, Matt, is this movie going to be worth it? <laughs> and you said yes. And I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I believe you. And you know yeah. what? You're right. You're right. You're right. You're, you're, I got to give you credit. You're 100. You're 100 percent right. So thank you, sir. And you're welcome. Uh, I mean, I took a gamble myself because I didn't know either. I was like, I don't want to sit in a theater uh because even even like watching a foreign film in the theater, like, you know, there's not the for me, it's not the privilege of if I miss something, I can pause it and then rewind it to, to catch all the dialogue. It's like you got to really pay attention to it. And I think watching it in the theater forced me to really fully because obviously all distractions are kind of stripped away. And then that helped me get like really engaged into the story when it got there. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I'm like, I feel like I got to pay attention to the court case to, to get down all the facts and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm happy that I saw it in theaters. Um, but final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. I think this movie was realistically, I thought it was incredible. Um, I thought I, th- I would love to see as we've been talking about it and I want to see it spoken about it in, in all these uh in these categories for the for the Oscars, I think it I think it's well deserved. Um, it's just refreshing to to get something a little different. I mean, we we got all star performances from um, Sandra Hewler and also um, the son. I can't his name escapes me right now. Uh, Milo, thank you. I think he did a phenomenal job. Um, yeah, I I actually would. This is a movie because I saw it by myself. I think I'd be interested to watch it with my wife and kind of mm. see it from like a married watch it as a married couple because there's just so many elements to to discover when we go over stuff. And I think like you know a lot. Of, I mean, just side note, a lot of couples when they watch stuff together, they they have these conversations that we're having right now. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I, and and kind of sharing your sentiment, I do think it was a very well-made movie. I don't know if it's a movie that I would go back and watch again, per se, but I was able to, and I think a large part of it is because I watched it on the big screen, I was able to kind of throw myself and get fully invested into the story um, and just kind of get this, like, this character-driven murder mystery, courtroom drama scenario of, like, kind of giving us the start to finish of this process. And I feel like I wasn't expecting that. And I think we dived in in great detail about every aspect of it. And by the end of it, like we see her just kind of chilling in her bed with the dog, kind of in a sense of grieving, but then it, like from the movie sense, it's like kind of taking a rest on itself because it went through a lot. 
Yeah. And like there were even times where like it was building up and I was getting anxious of some of the scenes because I'm like, this is like pretty brutal to put somebody through this. Um, uh, but I think that these are just people doing their jobs and, um, yeah, I am quite shocked in a way that this movie was not going to be the movie that's representing France. They chose to go with a different film. I, I would need to look into it, but I don't know which movie they recommended instead. So, but I think just because it's not going to be up for best international film, maybe to your point, it could lend itself to be available for other awards that, you know, that was except for that one category. And I feel like it has a lot of legs and a lot of uh, reason to be in the other categories as well. Time will tell, obviously, when February comes around, what the end result is. But if I don't see it in at least one um, category, I think this movie will be snubbed for any type of awards. It'll be some shit. Like if it doesn't, if it gets nothing, I'll be very, very, very surprised. Very, yeah. very surprised. Um, but there you go. That's our foreign film of the month, Anatomy of the Fall. As you can see, we both really enjoyed it. And if you have your time to get out to the theater before it leaves, recommend doing so. If not, it should be in streaming or uh, probably home viewing very soon. Uh, whenever you get a chance to watch it, we definitely recommend you do that. Uh, I guess one more thing. One more thing we okay. didn't talk about. We didn't really talk about their financials. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. So I believe I looked up their budget was just over $12 million. Okay. Um, and worldwide so far, it's done one almost two million domestically, and it's really die really making good money internationally, making over a mm-hmm. most of its movie uh, internationally for thir- rounding out to just a little bit over thirteen million. So it hasn't really hit its due just yet, but I I mean I'm starting to see a lot more showings uh, pop up for this movie, so so. It, it could it could be one of those like you know a slow burn in the box office, um, but who know I mean typically these movies don't typically get a a large uh, return. I think if anything, if it can break even, I think that's a good start too. And also, it's a lot to ask us Americans to sit through an international film, uh, especially in the theaters. And I was wrong. It the actually it's about the budget for the film was about six point eight million. So oh, yeah. Okay. So it's already made. So it's it's it, made double. it already made its made its money. Average. There you go. And av- it's average above. It's a little bit above average. Um, so yeah, this is great. I think it's a testament to how great the movie is. Um, I yeah. I'm gl- I'm here to see all the love that this movie's getting. Yeah, and also again, we're just kind of um, getting our early access into, and pretty much anything that we can get our hands on that has our early contenders. Uh, as we kind of enter yeah. in the award season. Um, but I think after after Killers of the Flower Moon and after uh, Anatomy of the Fall, I think for the next two or three weeks, we're going to be taking a back seat on some uh, potential award uh, contenders and uh, diving into some superhero stuff. Tara, love the listeners what they can look forward to next so week. Next week, we are di- speaking of Marvel. We so Next week is going to be our Marvel episode. We are going to be reviewing... The Marvels. Um, we're here to we will be able to give you our take to see whether it's terrible or if yeah. it's amazing because the consensus is either one or the other. There's not really a yeah. well. It's kind of like in the middle. There's there's really none of that. It's either it's you really love it or you really hate it. So we'll see. Yeah, and I feel like I have high hopes for it because I was expecting overly 
overwhelmingly negative reviews. That's what I was expecting. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. And so now that I'm hearing that it's mixed, I'm like, oh, maybe there's something there. Maybe within all the reshoots, and all the dramas that was happening uh, within the production, they were able to salvage something into a good movie. And at this stage of the game, while Marvel's in their course correction phase, all I'm asking is for a good movie. Yep. So That's all we need. I, I, I haven't seen Captain Marvel since I saw it in theaters four years ago. Yeah, I got to rewatch that. Yeah, and maybe so, just do um, an explainer video for Secret Invasion and uh, Miss Marvel. Yeah, well, D- uh, Disney Plus has the uh, Marvel Legends right. tab, where they dive, like, do deep dives and like five minute recaps on the character's journey. So I recommend just watching that, and and it's coming right from Marvel, so they're gonna probably tell you the more important things about each character you need to know True. going into the Marvels. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this episode. I'm always excited for a Marvel episode. They've let us down in the past couple of outings, but the last movie, though, was Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and that was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, yeah. So hopefully they can end the year strong. Like, Quantumania was in February, not so great. Then we got then we got uh, Guardians, which was very, very good. So hopefully they can end out the year with another at least decent. <laughs> yeah, and I, guess we, I guess we'll find out next week. We will. Uh if you want more from us, you can always follow us on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers, our Facebook, YouTube threads and TikTok page at box office bingers and our X page at box office binger without the X. We'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening to us. Just talk about movies and TV shows, entertainment and the streaming wars. We had a lot of heavy news this week, but we really appreciate you guys sticking with us and kind of hearing our take and everything that's happening in Hollywood, all of our movie talks. And it's, I mean, we're, we're, we're hitting on four years, if, if not very close to four years. And so I think we just uh, did. I actually think it's either this episode or the next one is our four year. It's technically our four year anniversary. Wow. I think it's November 7th. If you give me two seconds, I will look for you. I do. I do believe so. Can you believe that four years? And then also on top of that, and what is this, 193? And seven more episodes, we're going to hit 200. Oh, my God. Isn't it, that it's, wild? It's, been a, it's wild how, how many episodes. Like, every time we do we week after week, I'm like, man, this never keeps going up, doesn't it? It's like, it, it just keep on rolling, rolling. Let's see if it'll let me go back that far. All right. Hold on. You're almost there. Yeah, it would be the first episode that's aired, I guess, will count as our our anniversary date yeah, i guess technically i think we i think and then even then when i air when we recorded it it was maybe like a day or two yeah it wasn't it was that not, far along it was not that far along all right we're almost there mm-hmm. wow four years and we've we've done we've done quite a bit oh i've i've and i feel like you know you go back and we haven't our episodes I think right now we've kind of got a groove over the past few years, but I'm sure at the beginning, and it, but it's also not that far off. I mean, we're still talking about the same things we were talking about before. Matt, I'm about yeah. to blow your mind. Get out of Our here. Our anniversary I'm, it's November 10th of 2019. No way. I swear. How crazy oh is that? <laughs> Today is a, as so, we're recording, so it'll be released after our anniversary, but we are recording on our actual anniversary. How crazy is that? Wow. Happy four Happy years, years, sir. Man. Here wow. to many, many more. That's we wow, that's that's insane. Who who knew? At the end who knew we ended this episode on a positive note. I mean, we already were, like we do every week, but also like 
a big celebration. We need fireworks. All celebration. And then guess what? Our, our episode two was the streaming wars. <laughs> what we were just talking about <laughs> earlier. Fantastic. I'm glad we I'm glad we have a great memory and we stay consistent with all of our Yeah, topics. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you everyone for listening to us for the past four years. We really do appreciate it. Come back next week for more movie fun. You're not gonna regret it. And for that, I've been your host, Matt Diaz. Santos. See ya.